Some may find the following disturbing. Discretion is advised. Put the children to bed. It's time for Dan and Aldo to bare their souls. I love the Chicago Bears more than I do masturbating, and that is a lot. Then, with three seconds left, Bob Avellini throws a 30-something yard touchdown pass to Greg Latta, and the Bears win, and I literally shit my pants. I swear to God, I literally did. Kramer for me, I love the guy. He's a tragic figure. I mean, he embodies all that is. If they don't run the ball here, I'm going to vomit. I swear to God. Look, I don't mean any disrespect. He just didn't play that well. Not for a guy of his caliber. You know, they won, but I'm, I'm going to be miserable all week because they stunk. I don't, I don't really have any recollection of that at all, but I guess perhaps I blacked it all out. So, Dan, tape is the ultimate tool for scouts and for coaches to evaluate players, to detect plays and so forth. And they spend hours looking at tape, right? Why do they so often get shit wrong? I love the efficiency of bourbon. Ladies and gentlemen, Dan and Aldo. Such a good intro, the visual intro, the video on that, and the one you did for uh, Bears Country Podcast, man, it's, it's good shit. Thank you, thank you. I got, You're welcome. Uh, I got a couple of things uh, planned. One of them, I, I developed a uh, Christmas card from you, uh, but I didn't get it checked out from you, so I hope you, I hope you like what I did, and uh, you don't get too upset by it, but I'll, we'll share that later. Gonna, I saw you were had had me in an argument with Dan Weederer again, or trying to. <laughs> oh wow! I didn't have that in my notes. I actually did notes today, and I reached out to Dan Weederer, and um, he, <laughs> you saw it, yeah, that, uh, that was a reference. And so he reached out to me in DM and says, "So what are you thinking?" And uh, let me see if I can just pull it up real quick. I can read it verbatim. Uh, Dan Weederer, let's see. Um, what are you thinking? I will see if I can pull something off. I have to make sure my podcast contract stipulations don't get in the way, which is his way of saying, if I don't like what you're going to say in my contract. Right. <laughs> so I wrote out, thanks for responding. Dan, I'm a big fan of your writing. And whenever you have a book published, I'll be in line. I'm also an advocate of your type of sports journalism. You're not writing as a fan, but as a reporter, I've tried to explain that to my podcast partner, but he feels you're too negative as some other Bears fans feel about your coverage. If you come on our show, I'd love to have a discussion about the role of the sports journalists and what your goals are when reporting. This particular show is on every Tuesday, blah, 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 all those details. And then he wrote back, let me see 
how my schedule can align. May have to pre-record as my nights get hectic with our house chaos. I think this could be a productive conversation, honestly. So I hope we really have him, and I would love for you to pepper him with questions about how you feel about his reporting style, and uh, and then I can also take the conversation to a, a way where I think all of us fans could get a better appreciation or understanding what uh, sports journalists, sports reporters are trying to do. I, I can appreciate your goals going into that, mm -hmm. and I'll do what I can to make it uh, fortuitous for the bar room and for, you know, people listening and watching, mm -hmm. but I disagree. I feel like he's trying to be Steve Rosenblum. He's trying to be the wrestling heel. I don't think he's trying to just be some great reporter. I think he's just saying shit like to get attention. And that's the part that I don't particularly like, but that's just my opinion. I'm sure he's going to disagree with it. Yeah, you know, and that's an interesting uh, take because I was actually thinking about that, Dan. Uh, so are you saying that he does that in his newspaper writing in press. That I can't say, cause I don't read the sun times and okay. the tribune as much as I used to since Twitter and stuff. So, you know, so you're, you're talking about his social media stuff. Yeah. And his hits on radio. Okay. Yeah. So, and, and, and those are two totally separate things. And True. so, when, when he's on uh, the radio, yeah, I, I, I hear you. There are some times where I would say he's, painting this in a negative light but that is sort of the work the role of an adversarial journalist and so you know and i think that's what he's trying to do there but maybe you're more right than i am maybe he's just trying to be an asshole so hopefully we'll find out from hey are you trying to be an asshole dan peter that'll it be your like, question right <laughs> it feels like he's the guy that's like trying to get attention like desperately trying to get hits and stuff. And and maybe if I were in his case, I would be doing that too. Mm -hmm. But uh, it just seems inauthentic to me. Yeah. I, I, I've never gotten that uh, impression, uh, but uh, you know, maybe I'll look at it through a different lens now and, um, and, and, and check it out. I know I'll be respectful. I don't, I, just the idea of having to argue with this man stresses me out. I don't want to just have a, you know, like a, a TV debate kind of thing, like Stephen A. Smith and whoever else he's with. I think he got Kellerman fired, right? So I don't know who the fuck. Yeah. He's with now. Well, yeah, and I was going to actually give you a pep talk there, uh, then, and tell you please be kind to him. I'm just kidding. No, I, I don't want to argue with people like that. So. No, I know you don't. You're very, you're very respectful. Every guest that we've had on here, even if, well, we've never had an adversarial type guest or someone that you dislike is a better way of. Well, you in. remember the time that uh, when Shane was still here, when yeah. Shane had to, to deal with Mark Grody. Oh and yeah. To, to Shane's credit, he did a good job. I thought of, mm -hmm. but because he had criticized Grody strongly before that, but I even listening to that, I felt stressed mm -hmm. because I knew what Shane's viewpoint on Grody was. But he's also trying to be a gentleman at, during that interview too. And uh, again, it it's good, you know he didn't know what was going to happen and you all bring him on, but it just felt like to me as the listener, I was stressed. <laughs> I don't want to be that guy. Yeah. I, uh, I, I'm, I'm with you, man. I mean, have you ever encountered that, you know, somebody on your radio shows in West Virginia, somebody call you and, and, and say you suck or. Oh yeah. Yeah. Really? Um, the guy, I had a guy that called um, my, the P the program director mm -hmm. and left a message that was so long. 
about how much he hated me mm-hmm. that the machine or the, the voicemail stopped mm-hmm. and he was still going. It was like a four minute message before it just fucking stopped. Ooh, and he was yeah. referencing things over the course of three or four months. It was at the height of the COVID shutdown. Whoa. So it's like, considering he hated me so much, this guy listens every fucking night. So, cause he was referencing things from like March to June to July. And, uh, so yeah, oh yeah, I've definitely been, you know, told that someone you know, thinks I suck or whatever. My skin's a little bit thicker in that aspect because I know everyone's not going to like you. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and, uh, boy, and when I was, uh, those few years that I was, uh, my mug was on camera, man, I was fucking awful. And so when people would say, you suck, I was like, yeah, you're right. I'm pretty bad at this on camera shit. So I, and, and was, the, the oddity is that I started to feel like I was getting better when I got fired. So. <laughs> oh man. If you go back and I assume you have some old, old work from your younger days too. Yeah. Just going back to like listening to something from like 2000, 2004 or whatever. It's so bad. I mean, I know I was doing the best I could during those, the, my early twenties, but man, did I suck. <laughs> well, I mean, it's, it's like, uh, uh, bears 100 proof before it was 100 proof and Shane, Phil, me, Lauren Cox, and a guy named Jose Cotto. We were all did a show together and that was fucking awful, man. It, we were so boring. Man. Uh, welcome to uh, Bear's uh, Bar Room, and uh, my name is Aldo, and with me, it was f- fucking worse, and finally, we started to loosen up and started acting like we were fucking drunk, and most of us were. <laughs> <laughs> um, listen, I, I've got, let me tell people what we're doing. Um, I've got media mashups. It's 25 minutes, Dan. Are these too long when I do 25 minutes? No, I mean, I appreciate your work. It just takes away from me being with you, Dan. <laughs> well, we could stop it and <laughs> yes, talk about let's it. Do that. Let's do that. Um, and so I've got that. I've got uh, the, your, your little Christmas card to people. It's very short, but uh, hopefully we'll have some fun with that. I got some sound bites from Matt Eberflus that I'd like us to comment on. And uh, during the game, during the Packers game, I, I did some announcing and, and I put a couple up on Twitter. But as the game went on, I said, you know what, I'm going to save some of these for, for our show on Tuesday. So I want to share the, that. And then we'll, we'll talk about whatever just comes up out of the blue. I want to get your temperature on the on how you feel about the loss to the Green Bay Packers, because yesterday you and Dan Shorty, I mean, you guys were ready to commit Harry Carey. I thought you guys were so upset and sullen and dis- despondent yes, about it. Definitely a solid, solemn, what's the actual pronunciation there? I know the word you're trying to say. It was, uh, it was a dark and dour disposition for myself. <laughs> it's just, it's just another loss. And I didn't even want to get my hopes up. I, I kind of did when fields was going to start. I'm like, okay, good. At least there's something, you know, that I have to look forward to. But uh, as the game kicked off, like I had watched two plays and then I had to pause it because my security system was getting installed. Oh, cool. So it was about an hour in before I started to watch it again. So that's why I didn't interact with anybody because I didn't want to know what happened. I wanted it it to be live. So when they go up, I'm just like, okay, they're up. Just felt like I was watching a Wanstead era Bears Packer game. Like, okay, I know they're up and something bad's going to happen. I don't want something bad to happen, but I'm waiting for it. I'm not going to lie. And then comes Cairo Santos. And he misses another extra point. I was like, oh my God, there it is. And it wasn't just me. It felt like the whole momentum of the game changed too. Mm-hmm. 
And then suddenly Luke Getzey gets extremely conservative. Oh, my gosh. It sounds like you're announcing the game with me. Those are two of my clips. I talk about the Santos uh, a miss and Getzey's gutless uh, play calling. Please go ahead. It, it, just, it, it seemed that the Bears were like trying to sit on such a small lead mm -hmm. and afraid to try to win the game. And then, you know, you get uh, St. Brown. It's his fault on that first pick. I'm not just trying to be a Fields like ball washer. But, I mean, the first pick wasn't his fault. The second one, I'll say, is his fault. Mm -hmm. But it's just it's just a new – and then, you know, <laughs> you have the end around. It's like, oh, okay, at least that saves time. But for God's sake, don't let them get the two-point conversion. Every time a team goes for two against us, we let them just, just walk in untouched. They, they always allow the, the two-point conversion. And it's just another loss. And then, of course, he salutes the crowd. And it's just like – how many more of these are we supposed to sustain as fans, man? I mean, and if this one didn't bother you, because last night we were getting comments in the chat like, Aaron Rodgers has free space in your head. I mean, fuck you. Like, if you're a Bears fan, you should hate this guy. If we're anything, maybe not in real life. I hate him in real life. But at the very least, he's your opposition on the field. That should be the guy competitively you want to beat. Right. So hell yeah, the team, the team in general is the team that's been beating us for 30 years. So yes, I'm upset. And now we've got to wait two weeks mm -hmm. to, to play Philly and, and oh, fuck Philadelphia is going to be uh, favored by at least 10. Oh, I, I would bet if it's lower than that, then I'm fucking putting the mortgage <laughs> on, the, on the Eagles uh, to cover. Listen, I got to tell you, I wrote in the description to this show that this was the perfect year for me to start smoking marijuana again. <laughs> it's really mellowed me out to these losses. And, and, and I think that might be part of it, but also, you know, my expectations for this season were not nearly what you were, were hoping. And, and, and uh, Mr. Shorty, he had 11 and six. That was his, his mantra. I never, Never anticipated. There were a couple of times where you were so optimistic, adamant. <laughs> adamant and optimistic that kind of rubbed off on me. Yeah, maybe we can, but golly, I mean, the, the collection of motley players, vagabond players on this roster, it, it just it was never meant to be. And then as the season went on, by uh, uh, the general manager purposely got rid of more players to make it even tougher for the team. Although Robert Quinn, by the way, is on IR and his season is over. So that trade looks really fucking good now. Right. Indeed. Uh, the losing nine out of 10, I, I don't care. I don't want to buy into the, we don't have a lot of talent because there were a lot of teams over the years where the bears didn't have any talent, at least just you're a football player. You should know how to rush the passer. Mm -hmm. And if you go back and watch some of the, the Green Bay, I was watching the defensive line because my natural thing is just like, God, just put Rodgers on his ass. And I, I feel like the, the few times the Bears have beaten Rodgers is because they've gotten pressure on him. The 150 times he's beaten us is because we let him stand there. So I'm watching the defensive line and they stand straight up on their fucking tiptoes seemingly every play. <laughs> they get flat-footed. That's coaching, man. Got Look, it. I like Watts. Watts reminds me of a throwback to a like a Ted Washington or uh, Akeem Hicks, a big a big guy up front. Uh, he just 
his size I like Warren Sapp kind of guy, you know, that seems like he could be good, but even he, the fucking defensive line, they're standing straight up flat footed and that's why they're not getting any pressure. Mm -hmm. Hell high school coaches could tell you that why the bears defensive line coach hasn't lost his job yet. I I can't explain it. Guy hasn't even finished his first season, but here's the thing Dan. there's no talent. Sometimes you can do a great fucking job coaching, but, these knuckleheads don't get it or, you know, or, or, or whatever. They're just not athletically there. That's why they're, they were a fucking available. That's why they're on the bears because the bears decided to tear down the whole fucking house to see, you know, to start over, to collect as many assets as possible for 2023. And that really is year one of this rebuilding. This can, I, can I use a basketball analogy to, to okay. convey my point? Free throw shooting. Mm-hmm. If you got a guy that on your team that's just like like Shaq in 2000 when they're just fouling the shit out of him because he can't make a free throw. Mm-hmm. And that's when they changed the rule to hack a Shaq. But just just follow me on this. If you're going to the line and, you're, and your coach you know, tries to change your form and suddenly your elbows are in instead of out. Maybe you're like Anthony Mason and they're out and they're going crazy. And, mm-hmm. you know, but if your form is right, if they work on your form, Mm-hmm. Chances are your shot's going to be better. Yes. It just seemed the mechanics of it. Yes. You can tell if someone has been coached that th- th- their form is right. I mean, you know, so these guys, the defensive linemen, their, their, their mechanics aren't right is what I'm trying to say. No, They're I just know. standing straight up. And like to me, that's coaching. So what I'm saying is they could still be bad football players, mm-hmm. but still have the right form and maybe just not be fast enough to get to the quarterback, but still tenacious and doing things the way they're supposed to in terms of their mechanics. So to me, the free throw analogy is, is apt because it's all about, you know, like I said, you want your elbows in, it's all about your form. It's your coaching, you know? So the, the line is just not, they're not, they're not, you're not going to get any penetration. If you're standing there doing a fucking pillow fight, mm-hmm. which is what it looks like they're doing. Yeah. You know, it, it I'd have to look at, I, I think you're making an excellent point and I totally, totally get it. Um, but there, there could be certain plays where the defensive linemen are told to stand up and try to block the pass because they're, that's a fair point. That's a fair point. They're expecting a quick uh, uh, outlet pass. So, you know, it, it's one of those things, but I, I totally get it. I mean, this, but you get it too, right? That this was a designed to be a bad season. I mean, there were times, and and in the media mashup, I was glad to hear some of the local sports shows talk about this. There were times where I thought Luke Getzey was just fucking tanky. I mean, the conservative play calling. Th- this guy was lighting the Packers up with his passing, and this guy being Justin Fields. And then on third and six, you're calling a run play. You got really fucking conservative, you know, and uh, Danny Parkin says, I think, I, I think Getsy is in on it because he wants the high draft pick. I think he's in on it. So did, did that ever cross your mind this weekend when you were watching? Honestly, no, because again, that's, it's annoying to me to even consider that, but I just thought that they lack balls. I thought they were, I, I'm not going to say that the, the Getsy was uh, not trying to win. I just think he doesn't have the courage like to keep attacking. I Mm. felt like that they, they thought that they had a large enough lead to win. And when you've got these guys, I can't even remember their names. These young guys that were in the secondary playing their balls off, man. Like you have two guys back there that had never played before. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, but at some point you have to expect Rogers is going to, you know, he's going to be Rogers. And so you have to help that young secondary out by trying to score some points. Mm-hmm. And like I said, those guys did as good a job as they possibly could have. And I can praise that. This is what I was trying to say about the defensive line. It feels like they're not trying mm-hmm. like Justin Jones. Like I, every time I see him, I'm like, you talk about a guy that should be cut in the off season. Like just a terrible signing. And then 99, uh, he's our draft pick. He's supposed to be flourishing now, and it just looks like he has nothing. So the defensive line is awful. And the young guys in the secondary, like I said, I was very impressed with their effort and just trying to keep us in the game. And they did their best, man. And Who's I, better yeah. right now, uh, offensive line of the Bears or defensive line of the Bears? The offensive line's better at this point. Fucking A, it's better. Yeah, because you've got uh, – Whitehair's been surprisingly good this year. And I say surprisingly because it seems like he had kind of like hit the wall and was going to be cut. Maybe he still will be. Uh, Jenkins looks good, you know, at guard. Uh, Mustafer, I hate to admit it, has played better than what he did before he got benched. Mm-hmm. You've got the, the rookie at left tackle. Uh, and at right tackle, I mean, maybe you've got Alex Leatherwood, which you pointed out last night, only played 10, 10 plays, but Again, it's a guy they took a flyer on, and he didn't give up any pressure. So I don't think Larry Borum's any good, so why not play Leatherwood down the stretch if uh, Riley Reef isn't ready? And Everything that we're talking about is in this media mashup, so let's play it, and then anytime you want to interrupt uh, and we can discuss, just yell very loudly because I might not hear you. Okay. You ready? Let's go. All right. What are you drinking, Coke? That water right now, but yeah, I've got a Coke here waiting on me. But yes. how, many, how many Cokes do you drink a day? Uh, usually three. That's good. You were drinking 33 before. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> I'm just killing time while I find my video. Here it goes. <laughs> when you look at the interception late in the game to Jair Alexander, when you look at the play, You know, you have a comeback route by um, EQ St. Brown. And when you look at the defensive back and how he played it, he stayed into a backpedal. He never took his eyes off of Justin Fields. So he was in position to make a break on the ball well before the receiver was. And I do think that those are the type of things that we're going to have to watch Justin through his development. Does he understand the coverage? Does he see what, you know, we get to see – um, you know, from the booth or in the aftermath, because you know the ball should have. Probably- you were, you mentioned this earlier, Dan, and it, it is interesting that a lot of people see this as it's Justin Fields' fault. A lot of people see it as Equinemius St. Brown's fault. It's probably both of their faults and uh, Luke Getzey for that particular play call to have a six foot five wide receiver uh, running a curl against a cornerback that he saw in practice the last three years just uh, doesn't make sense to me. Did uh, you see where the Packers uh, said that St. Brown sucked? They called him a scrub? Yeah, there was Jari Alexander. And uh, then EQ the, the next day said that he got a text from Alexander apologizing, saying, hey, you know, he did a moment. I, 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 I mouthed off. I apologize. So Yeah, and that apology means nothing. I mean, if he didn't really think that, he wouldn't have said it. Packers, I hate them all. 
<laughs> I had a two, but yeah, St. Brown just looked like he's, he's not running hard there. There's no other, like it, it, in his system, what we've heard was so much about hustle. Mm-hmm. He being Eberflus. Mm-hmm. So with his mantra, the, the hits or whatever, what was the acronym again? Uh, uh, yeah, I forget. Hits. Uh, whole... Hustle's number one, right? Yeah, Hustle's number one. <laughs> Coming up on uh, the Eagles game on the 17th, St. Brown should be a healthy scratch. Yeah. Should be a healthy scratch. I mean, I would play Valus more, the draft pick. Uh, number eight, Harry's definitely shown that he deserves more of a look. And you've got number 10. And you've got 13 back now. So, hell, I would St. Brown wouldn't play based upon his constant mistakes. But the thing is, is his blocking, he really, really is like one of the best blocking wide receivers. Pringle can block well too, though. Yeah, but but I'm saying that they like his blocking so much that they're willing to put up with these fuck-ups because, as Nomad said, it's, it's earlier on, I should have started, but it's a it's a very subtle type of tank job that they're doing. You know, we'll live with EQ. He blocks well, and and, and that's going to help. But it violates their own system. You're supposed oh. to be holding people accountable. Remember, that's what they said Nagy didn't do, and that's what they were going to do. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, you know, again, I think they look at practice tape and they probably feel, you know what, this is the best of the scrubs we got. <laughs> Jerry was right. He is as scrubbing as Probably gone in a different direction because the defensive back was reacting to the flight of the ball well before the receiver. And then you see the result of that play at such a significant moment. So um, those are the types of things. If we're going to be talking about the brilliance of Justin in five years, it's going to be because of those types of reads he makes instantaneously in either – moves his eyes in a different direction to the next read or tucks the ball and run. Tom, were you surprised that um, they were so kind of easy to blame Equinemia St. Brown for not coming back on that route? It, it was a little surprising in the post game to hear the coach and the quarterback mention him. Uh, I think, I think Justin just said the receiver has to come back and do that. And but he did mention David Montgomery didn't run hard into the hole at one point. I I just am not used to that sort of um, of, of candid uh, nature from a quarterback. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I agree. I, I don't agree with that. I think when you have a comeback route by a six-five wide receiver, it take you know when you sprint the eighteen yards or whatever he did, and then you got to come to a complete stop. And when you're coming to that complete stop, the defensive back sees that. 50,000 times throughout the course of his career. And then when he goes through the practices that he's been that involved Aaron Rodgers and stuff, he understands how that receiver has to come out of that break in order for that play specifically to run successfully. And when EQ St. Brown comes under uh, balance and, and then turns around, the defensive back is already breaking on, on the ball. So yeah, I, I think it was a, a great play by J- Jair Alexander and, um, I do think it's um, you know a little bit if you're if you're blaming the receiver in there, I think the quarterback has to accept as much blame as the receiver. Does that was that an issue for you? Did you hear the post game comments from Fields where he he said you know EQ should have come back for the ball, and then he said the running back should have run a little harder, meaning David Montgomery on that third and sixth play. Did, did that bother you at all? I'm going to be completely honest with you. I was so disgruntled after the game. I've had zero post-game analysis. This is 
last night and tonight is all I've talked about. I haven't listened to anybody. Uh, I was so upset after the game. I didn't want to hear or talk about it at all. I just turned the shit off. <laughs> I didn't hear anything Justin said or Eberflus. Maybe I should have, no. but I was so disheartened that I didn't want to even think about it. <laughs> That's fucking hilarious. I have done that so many fucking times, so many fucking times. And that's the bad thing about this job is that sometimes I gotta hear this shit when I really don't fucking want to. <laughs> just the, 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 the trust me. What, what was that? I was like, it's just because it was the Packers. There's, it adds so much more to it. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Here's your guy, Dan Wiedewerk. Bears yeah. defenses that were really like comically bad. This one isn't comically bad, but they do not get to the passer at all. I, I had just flipped to this page, Dan, because I, you know, I don't consider myself. <laughs> I don't have a great statistical memory. Yeah, I don't ever remember. It's one thing to have no sacks, but zero quarterback hits right. for an entire NFL game. Have you ever seen that? Right, and I think they got they got one that was was basically scratched out of the stat sheet because there was a penalty on the play and it went down as a no play. But no, it, it's alarming. And 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 to, to your point, there's just there's no splash plays, right? And and yes, you, you're missing the guys that make those splash plays, right? You've got Eddie Jackson on IR, you've got Brisker out, uh, Roquan Smith is in Baltimore now, and and you've got to you've got to start finding guys in the offseason, preferably. It would be nice to find two or three guys in house now that could be guys that you say, "Oh, that guy can make a big play for us at times." But they just have none of it, and it puts you uh, at such a disadvantage because you're just not able to swing games. And then when you're not able to swing games, you you leave the door open enough for a bad team like the Packers, and they are bad, by the way. If you watched that yesterday, it's like, whoa, that's that's woeful how far they've fallen in a year. Uh, but they hang around and they're able to they're able to beat you because you just don't have. Uh, those moments where where you can take the game and and seize control of it. Yeah, it's rough watching these guys not get up the field. Is there a player on the Bears defense that you thought was maybe farther along than this? Because I had high hopes for Travis Gibson. That's it. I, yeah. I, I I thought that he would be more of a factor, and I I'm not sure why I'm not seeing him be a factor. Dan, see, you don't li- need to listen to all this post game stuff because you're asking the same questions. <laughs> and I like Lawrence Holmes, by the way, yeah. uh, but. I just I haven't heard from anybody or anything. I just didn't want to listen to any of it. I don't fucking blame you. I, I wish <laughs> I think I said this on this show or some other show. I wish I could go to sleep and wake up like the day free agency starts. You know, <laughs> just fuck Christmas, New Year's. I just want free free agency to start. Not that the not that I expect the Bears to make any splash splash signings. They might take a wait and see approach again. But I I, I I'm look really looking forward to the off season. That, that, that was exactly the name that popped in my head because I, I really love the way Travis finished last season. I really love the way that they kind of put him back into a role that he was more comfortable uh, playing in college, you know, as the, the traditional 4-3 end. And it just seemed set up to, to be a year where he took another step in his growth. He hasn't been there, you know, and, and, and so like we'll, we'll try to dig a little bit more over the final month and, and ask around on why that, that's been the case. Uh, that that's certainly one of them. But yesterday, Lawrence, I mean, you're looking at a secondary of guys that have never played at all. Right. And so when Christian Watson gets loose on, on what turned out to be the game ceiling touchdown, you've got, you know, Elijah Hicks looking the wrong way. You got Jalen Jones looking the wrong way. Josh Blackwell getting his first you know extended action on defense as an NFL player, not able to get off a block and make a stop. And, and, and that's kind of where you're at with the, the shorthanded talent at your disposal. If I were to answer that question, obviously, Travis Gibson, I think is probably the definitively correct answer. 
But based on what I saw early, as tantalizing as some of the skills are, Dominique Robinson, for me too, because I had him on the short list of once they made the Quinn move, said, okay, put him out there, let him figure it out, let him work on his eye discipline, let him work on his pad level, let him work on hand placement. I mean, every bit of it. And you that, that he plays a position where you can just make a play. You can just be the guy in the backfield every once in a while. And I'm just seeing him hung up on blocks. Right. Well, and there's a lot of chicken and egg here because when you're not super reliable at stopping the run, you don't get obvious passing situations for a guy like Dominic Robinson just to do the one thing, right? Which is like, think of Mark Anderson as a rookie. It was like, hey, kid, you know, we're going to get you some pass rush situations and go ahead and, and go dominate those. And, and he did, right? And, and Robinson just hasn't had a lot of opportunities because the Bears haven't had a lot of opportunities. And when he's had the opportunities, he hasn't gotten them done. This is why I'm not super um, eager to just forgive everything out of 2022 because you can't just say, oh, well, you, you whiffed on your entire draft class and you whiffed on your entire free agency class and we'll just fix everything in the offseason of 2023. Somewhere along the line, you got to hope that somebody that is on your current roster surprises you to a point where you can put them in a, in a heightened role and then you can say, okay, now we can devote resources elsewhere. And right now they're, they're struggling and scuffling to find those guys that are going to make things a little bit easier when they go into what is going to be an absolutely demanding 2023 offseason. Let's be a little aggressive. I hope this is the kind of stuff that doesn't come back to haunt the Bears when they are good. If they can fix this and get good in the next couple of years, Ibraflus is way too conservative sometimes in the decision making. Way too conservative. I, I, want, I want a place called that are going to be successful. I got plays called that are aggressive. That's what I like. I Me like too. it offensively and defensively. I'd rather die being aggressive Me too. than being conservative. Any day. And yes. I don't think he's like that. And that I, I don't like that type of coaching in the NFL. I don't think it succeeds in the NFL. Uh, I just don't think it does. Playing scared, playing conservative in a league where you've got to score points and you've got to be bold and you've got to be aggressive, it's not going to work. It's not 1965. I don't like the... I do not like the mindset one bit. And my fear is... If in a couple of years this does work and they're ten and three, nonsense like that's gonna. Then we're really gonna be high. That'll de- that'll it. derail you. You know, it, it's not. It, 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 get with it. Get with the program. Score points. Don't settle for three. Score points. And they don't have a great team. I understand it, but your quarterback is a dynamic weapon right now, and you were pretty smart in the way you used him. He rushed. He had the fewest amount of rushes all season yesterday, Yerk. Yep. Probably not a coincidence, right, coming off of an injury. But you still have this incredible, dynamic athlete that is giving teams fits on third down. You know how good the Bears have actually been on third down the last six weeks? They've been incredible. They've been brutal at stopping teams. We told you they can't protect their passer. They're worse than adjusted sack rate on offense. They don't get uh, on offense. They don't get to the opposing passer. They've got the least number of sacks in the league, and in the metrics – if you go away just from the counting stats, they're fourth worst in adjusted sack rate on defense. Those aren't good. That's not a good combination to ever win games. Do you know what they're allowing teams to convert during this six-game losing streak on third down? 53%. That's too much. 53%. Too much. You ever on a defense that went six straight weeks, you were letting the opposition convert at 53%? No. Can you imagine what Greg Blosh would have been saying to you guys? Oh, he would have been he'd gone crazy. I mean, come on. So I get it. They're a little short in a lot of areas. But my God, like... I can't imagine the number. We should go back and track it because this is not the first time we've talked about it where we've all scratched our heads like, well, wait, you're in field goal range. Why are you running it on third down? If you're, if you're running it on third down, you're probably then going to go for it on fourth down. And maybe that was their plan that they, like Yurko said, they lined up with four wides. No tight end. 
They had a five-man protection. They had four wide receivers. And maybe their idea was, hey, we're going to catch him here napping, thinking we're in a pass play. And at the very least, Montgomery's going to pick up four yards, and then we'll go for it on fourth and one. Well, Tevin Jenkins whiffed on a block. Yes. And guess what happened? The play got blown up. Execution. And so maybe that would be the coach's counter to my rant today. They'd like say, pipe down, uh, young man, you this, don't know what you're yeah, talking this about. This is what we were looking and for. this is what we were looking to do. And if Tevin Jenkins doesn't whiff on a block... We're all right. We're probably all right, but he did. And so player execution matters. I understand it. But it's been way too many times this year where they're in field goal range. And we've all asked the same question. Like, why are you running it on third down if you're not going to go for it? You're in field goal range. If you're taking the three, take a shot. Dan, you there? I am. I I just kept thinking. I went back to the game, Mm -hmm. specifically the Packer game there when Carmen was uh, going on his rant about the field goal, you know, when we were down two, uh, and it's just like, God, we're driving. I think that was the, the possession that led to the St. Brown play with the interception. I had 0% confidence in Santos. I thought, man, if they go down the field, he's going to miss the field goal. He's going to fucking miss. He, it's like anytime he misses, he goes into like a, a, a tailspin where he lacks confidence for a few weeks. Mm-hmm. And I, I think if it comes down to him, he's going to miss against uh, – fuck. That's all I kept thinking is like, oh, the, the fucking field goal's not a, a layup, and neither is an extra point with this guy now. Mm-hmm. So I know his point is, you know, they get too conservative down when they're in the scoring zone, but I think they're too, too conservative the whole second half. Yeah, and then I was going to I was gonna offer this is – I agree, but they are a running team. I mean, that's what they do really, really well. The problem with this particular game was is that Fields was having his best passing game, 255 yards. He, he was like 22 of 26. 20, yeah. At one point. had a 300-yard passing day, which would have been really great for the guy if Getsy would have pulled the trigger a little more. I understand spoon-feeding him, but at the same time, there were no signs until that EQ interception that he was having a hard time passing. We had an opportunity to put our fucking heel on Aaron Rodgers' neck, and we didn't do it. And the way to do it with this present team is to do it by scoring a lot of points, not fucking giving Aaron Rodgers the ball because you're calling it so conservatively. I agree. Fuckers. Throw the ball to the end zone. Do something. Anything. Take a shot for crying out loud. So it is very frustrating. Make something happen. Got a theory for you? What if he's in on the bit? Take the ball out of the hands of your best player in order not to win. Disaster by design. I mean, to quote David Hall. I, I don't really think it. But Justin Fields is having the best passing day of his life. You should do some research. Do some of your own research I, on this. I'm just saying. This conspiracy theory. Like you, he's having the best passing day of his life. He's injured. He's passing you down the field. And whenever he has big pass plays, uh-huh. they immediately go back and immediately start running the football without Justin Fields running. Now, Fields said after the game, you know, they were crashing down on the zone read, so a lot more of the reads were obvious gives. They were doing the mesh charge yes. where they go at him and they want him to get the ball out of his hands. Yeah, and so that makes all of the sense in the world. I would do it too, and that helps the running game because sure. if they're taking, if that takes a guy out of the box, committed to the edge for the quarterback, 
That should open up lanes up the middle. We saw it on uh, the run to to Evans where he got down inside the ten yard line. Yep, like that that was a play where it was it was very valuable. Clearly, a lot of the defense overcommitted uh, to Fields. He gave the ball and, and he took off. So he's having an impact on the effectiveness of the running game, even if he's not mm-hmm. the one running the ball. But yeah, it almost felt like Getsy got crazy conservative because he didn't want them to score too many touchdowns because he didn't really want them to win on, the game. You're doing a bit. You're trying to be funny. Because, and guess what? You're not funny. Because he, too, <laughs> understands the value of trading down and getting multiple first-round picks or ending up with Will Anderson from Alabama. I had multiple friends text me uh, during the game that exact thing. that it, They thought Getsy was, was in on the tank win. Right? Going for it. Because Help, helping out. Doing what he could. I loved it. Because okay. it, it was insane. This is insane. It was, it, it was insane, right? I yeah, wanted to yeah, win the- exactly. Your theory is insane. <laughs> I think he's Your theory is insane. I mean, you're, you're questioning the integrity of your coaches. He's joking, I think. Uh, I hope. Because that's ins- even if you're playing sand- Sandlot football uh-huh. as a fucking 15-year-old kid, you're playing to win. Where's Herman Edwards when I need him? Like, there's nobody on the Bears' sideline that's coaching, even if I think they suck, even if it was Nagy. They're not there trying to lose. Mm-hmm. Maybe you could argue that the general manager did this or that move and the trades show that he doesn't care about winning this year. But in the heat of the moment, when you're playing a game, I think he got conservative because he, he lacks, you know, uh, courage to continue throwing, but that's two different arguments. We're not saying he's intentionally doing it because he wants to lose. I don't think any play, any coach in the league wants to lose on game day. I just, that's a crazy theory to me. I agree. I, um, I do believe that he's joking here, uh, but uh, I, I gotta, I gotta tell you watching that game. I, I, the question came up. You know, he's purposely being conservative, so he's not – it's it's a form of tanking. It, it's – it's we don't really want to win this game, right, guys? <laughs> okay, so I'm going to be very conservative with the play calling. I, I think that they're at that stage now. Maybe it's all subconscious, you know? I don't know. To beat Green Bay would have behooved the entire program. You're, you're absolutely right. It, you're to absolutely. me, it's like it – they have to know that. They have to want I know it's their first season here, but they have to know what that game means to everyone mm-hmm. that's in, that has a C on their fucking helmet or, or their hat or their jersey. Mm-hmm. Not just the players, but the, the crowd. I mean, the, the fan base. Everyone is going to be reinvigorated with this victory that you had right there in your palm of your fucking hand. No, you're gonna make to it- lose nine out of ten games, I mean... I mean that's all, that's getting close to an all time low. That's like almost like the 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 team that you and Mike North always referenced, the sixty nine Bears that were what one in thirteen? One in thirteen. Yeah. So I mean you have lesser, you know, fewer games then. Mm-hmm. So but still, I mean, I'm sure at one point obviously they lost nine out of ten to yeah. get only to lose thirteen games. And then they lose the coin flip for the first for Terry Bradshaw, yeah. Terry Bradshaw. Game, I, I know you did, <laughs> but it's just—it's the type of thing where I think you got to be open to the possibility yeah. that Getsy maybe just maybe is aware that what's in their best interest is to lose. Well, then you really want him to stay. You know, that's I mean? what I'm saying. <laughs> you want to take Adam and Crystal Lake? Um, 
I was wondering, just talking about Getsy, some people call him Gutless Getsy, by the way. Oh. But do you think... <laughs> Do you think that if not, if, if this isn't intentional and if this is incompetent, should we be rethinking maybe the, uh, for a new play caller next year? No. We got to slow down here. I, like, I, I love the schematic choices he's made and the way that he adjusts. Um, and, and one other thing, his plate was full yesterday, man. No blazing game, so no fullback before the game. And then they're going to lean on Trevon Wesco, the third tight end, as to do a lot of the fullback type things. He goes out in the first series. Yeah. So all of a sudden you're you're dealing with chip help and max protect being you know embodied by different people and got to scheme it different. There was a lot on his plate yesterday. Yeah, and the inability to feel good about straight drop back passes for with with the pass protection mm-hmm. and no Darnell Mooney and Claypool still learning the system, like all of it, man, like they. Getsy has had questionable play calls. That is being generous. Absolutely right? true. He, he, had ba- he had bad moments. I am with you. I called it maddeningly conservative on Twitter when I was going through it. I hated the third and five run. I thought it was insane. Take the ball out of Justin Fields' hands when he's the reason that you're even in the game. Seems crazy to me, right? All of it. And I thought that it was bizarre that the designed quarterback runs went away. Like you did it early, you had success with it. He was clearly healthy. Uh, I, I so I thought that that was curious in and of itself, even though he was having uh, plenty of success passing the ball. But on the whole, this year, on the whole, it's a huge. He's been great. It's a, it's a great season for Luke Getzey on a, the whole. It's a great season. Uh, uh, the, the, but I want to ask you about this morning regarding Rick Morrissey's column in the Sun Times. I know you read it, and I read it too. But Morrissey said in the fourth quarter. Talking about Justin Fields, he threw a combined three touchdowns and six interceptions so far in the fourth quarter. Again, three touchdowns and six interceptions. And he talked about process. He says, sports teams have conditioned us to be mindful that everything's a process. We get it. Fields is learning on the job, but a process implies a payoff with the currency being late game heroics. Or am I missing something here? You read that. What was your reaction to it? Because... Yeah, we hear the process. We heard this a lot with the 76ers, with them losing a lot on purpose. And he's looking for a payoff. But if Morrissey's looking for a payoff with a 3-10 and 10 ball club, he's never going to get it. Yeah, and I understand everyone wants to see the payoff. They want to see us rally go down the field like Tom Brady did last night. Mm-hmm. It's a process. I understand people's frustration. I understand... Justin in Dallas calling in. And we're three and ten. What did you expect? You have to. There has to be a sliver of honesty within yourself as a sports fan when you're paying over ninety million in dead cap charges, which means you're spending more than a third of your roster to play for someone else. Mm-hmm. I understand. You know what I mean? I, know, I totally understand. See, that's the key thing. Cap is right about that. You know, you're, $100 million of your budget is going to players who are no longer on the team. By design, for the most part. Some of them were uh, there because of Ryan Pace's stupidity. But Poles knew, in order to start over, we got to go through this process now. So that means 2022 is going to be a loss here because i got to get rid of Khalil Mack's salary. I can't I can't take that into 2022, 2023, and, and on. Gotta get fucking rid of it. Give me something for him. And then the same thing with Quinn. And you know, Roquan has his own set of circumstances. So you got all this fucking money 
tied up and players who are no longer the team, of course your team is going to be deficient of talent. Of course you're going to have EQ as one of your starting wide receivers. A guy who couldn't play well with Aaron Rodgers as his quarterback. I I know that your your point is that you're conveying. I just it, it doesn't mean that you trade those guys and suddenly your entire defensive line can't get any pressure. I mean, there should be somebody else there. Whether even if it's the the ooh, the ooh, ooh. the lack of talent, the the guy that's there, like the the Tom Waddle type who emerges based on heart and determination and not straight skill. We don't have anybody like that, it seems, other than maybe Jack Sanborn. But, well, yeah, but of the of the four, you know, of the uh, defense, somebody players. should be able to get some pressure. That's their fucking job. Exactly. Even if you trade uh, Robert Quinn, somebody should still be able to get pressure. Someone should emerge, even from the practice squad, to be able to get one sack a game. Uh, uh, you know, somewhere without having to blitz. But and hell, even when we blitz, we can't get there. And the expectation was that Travis Gibson The expectation is somebody on your team as a football player should be able to make a football play, such as a sack or a tackle for a loss. Or, you know, it's a fair expectation to think that your defense isn't going to be like 32nd in the league. You've heard those statistics a minute ago in terms of the, the uh, percentage they're giving up on third downs and stuff. I mean, just crazy. Like, it's not like Quinn was doing anything this year. I liked Quinn. He had a great 2021, but he had one sack with the Bears and didn't even do anything in Philly. Roquan goes to sleep and has just is just there. Khalil Mack did that for what two two years, and mm-hmm. so I <laughs> I don't have any opposition to him being traded, but I think it's a reasonable expectation to say that the guys that are still there could play a little bit better. I agree. Yeah, I don't think that it just, oh, well, we let Khalil go and traded him for a second-round pick, so now we know no one else on the team can do anything. I mean, that, to me, that's... so. But what, wow. are, but what are you saying? You're saying it's because of the coaching, right? Uh, it's a combination of both, I think, the, the players and the coaching. Uh, like I said, that defensive line, the play, when everyone just is flat-footed immediately... As soon as the ball is snapped, it's, it's crazy to me. And I'm seeing that over and over and over. Uh, like, I, I know that the secondary was burned on that, that the little flip uh, end around play that they scored on late in the game. But I thought those guys showed heart, at least the younger guys. And that's all you can ask for. Even if they're not that good, they're giving you all they've got. Mm-hmm. And that's what I'm saying. Someone on the defensive line should be able to emerge the same way where they're like, well, maybe this guy doesn't have a lot of the variables we would say would be a first-round pick, but he's giving you maximum effort, and he's making plays the way Jack Sanborn is in, in the linebacker spot, where he's just giving you max effort all the time and to, the to high deficiencies. Dan, the expectation, Dan, was is that Travis Gibson and the rookie Dominique Robinson would now be the starters at defensive end and that they would deliver that, at least show us on video, uh, on tape, Show us that effort. Show us that doggedness. And they have failed. They have failed. And so now Poses has to make the decision. You know, how uh, do these guys even come back as backups next year? With Dominique Robinson, I think you have to say yes. 
because he was, first of all, he was your draft pick. He was a quarterback and a running back and only played a year or two at defensive end. So he's got a lot to learn, a lot to learn. Travis Gibson, this will be his 2023 will be his third season. And so he wasn't your guy pace drafted him. So now you got to make the decision. Is this guy capable of helping us win championships? And right now it's not looking too good for him. All right. But from Morrissey's standpoint and some of our callers, mm-hmm. Morrissey echoes maybe I would say a fourth of the calls that we get every day mm-hmm. saying that the next step in the process is a quarterback, a quarterback leading victories. The inability to close out games isn't just him, of course. The entire team needs to view the fourth quarter as an opportunity to knock off early, meaning that, hey, you know what? You have an opportunity to win ball games. You got to be able to do that. Now, here's the thing. Yeah, we talk about how both things can be true. Yes, it is a process, and I wasn't expecting a lot this year uh, as far as this team being a playoff team. But at the same time, you're seeing the results, Cap. You're seeing the results, and the results are not favorable. You think that at one point, one of these games, the Bears would be able to get the job done, win games in the fourth quarter, and close out with a victory. I mean, even bad teams find a way to win, except the Texans. Uh, but bad teams find a way to win. But he's talking about just being able to see it for the good of fields, for the good of the ball club. The feeling that when you go in that locker room after the fourth quarter when the game is over, that you have an opportunity to win a game. Again, I understand that the the draft is the number one thing, I think, for a lot of people to understand, hey, how does this team get better, get the best of the best in the draft? At the same time, though, he's talking about the process being able to manifest itself at some point to winning. The... Interesting thing is, I think when Justin drops back, and and JT O'Sullivan, Charlie was talking about the quarterback school where he breaks down quarterbacks, and he's a big Justin guy. And to what you're talking about, he talks about Justin stepping back and not trusting. I don't trust those receivers. He can see it because mm-hmm. he was an NFL quarterback. Pause it, pause JT. It. So that's part of. I've said this before. It drives me crazy when someone like J.T. O'Sullivan is suddenly a fucking expert. Dan Olavsky, Chris Sims, uh, Dan Graziano, however you say his name, but the old Falcon. It's a J.T. O'Sullivan. O'Sullivan is some authority on quarterbacks now. Why the fuck doesn't Henry Burris have a show? Why isn't? Where's Jonathan Quinn to talk about? Where's Steve Stenstrom? What's his fucking thoughts? What do they all? How do these guys get shows or or jobs? The like the worst of the worst players in the NFL is suddenly some authority. Like JT O'Sullivan, what did he ever do to for me to take seriously his opinion about Fields' drop back? What was he doing whenever he got a chance to play? Nothing. Have you, have you seen any of his videos, JT O'Sullivan? No, I don't want to. Because yeah, again, it would be good. He, he's a big, big fan of Justin Fields. I mean, it's fuck. Why would the guys that can't play at all? So the hell, I can't play. So I shouldn't be doing fucking videos about his dropbacks either. That's what I'm saying. Though, but why do they always just these scrubs? The they, the Packers called EQ a scrub. These the JT O'Sullivan was a fucking scrub. You know, a lot of times guys who are not good players end up being really good fucking coaches. They just didn't have the athletic talent. They just didn't. But they they were smart enough to take what they did and now explain it into words and help others 
become good players. And I think JT O'Sullivan, I don't know if he's a good coach or not, but I have seen his videos. He's first of all, he loves Justin Fields. Absolutely loves him. And when you see his videos, a lot of time he's criticizing Luke Getze and the offensive play calling for some of Fields' mistakes. A lot of times he's he's criticizing the offensive line, uh, the wide receivers and so forth. And then once in a while he will point out a error that Justin Fields committed because he is committing errors. He's still a young guy who, who, who doesn't have the, the experience of a Tom Brady or even a Josh Allen with Buffalo. Anyway. What's Cade McNown thinking? <laughs> That's what I want to know. What the fuck does Cade McNown think about Justin Fields' dropbacks? What's it? All of these guys that we, it's like, what, how did he get a job? Cade McNown. No, though not McNown, JT O'Sullivan. That's his own business. Uh, he doesn't uh he doesn't he uh it's a Patreon thing. Oh, oh, so we're paying for it too. Yeah, okay. you gotta pay for it. <laughs> right. some, All right. Some free ones, but yeah, for the most part, you gotta pay for it. <laughs> yeah, Chubbs doesn't understand the NFL salary cap. Go read the CBA the, the uh, and you'll 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 know that what you said, Chubbs, earlier about the McCaskies using the money. <laughs> To, to pay for the stadium go read the cba and you'll understand that better that's a, just an inside message for those in the chat the process too that i don't think rick is taking into account oh darnell mooney's not there and pringle equinemius Nikhil Harris, all of them are you know reclamation projects mm -hmm. and so that combined with am i going to get hit combined with my left shoulder is actually hurting me. Add it all up makes it very tough. So it's yeah. part of Rick wants to see it. I want to see it. You want to see it. Everyone wants to see it. Sure. Brad, I think this next four games after the bye week and however the Bears want to make use of their time, I said earlier that if, if I were Matt Eberflus, I would have a conversation with Ryan Poles or maybe it's the other way around. I want to see Alex Leatherwood. I want to see Nikhil Harry. I want to see Valus Jones. I want to see Chase Claypool targeted more. I want to see a lot of things that may not help me win games necessarily in 2022 now. I want to see if I can trust guys in 2023. And this four-game uh, remainder of the schedule is a great opportunity to do that. Well, you got to trust Leatherwood to have him out there, and they trusted them to have him out there for 10 snaps uh, in the game. But, um, it, you know, I, you got to be careful what you're doing on the offensive line. And I think if Leatherwood had been um, really turning heads in practice for a while, we would have seen him on the field sooner than now, right? I mean, that that's what that tells me. Like, okay, the guy hasn't gotten on the field yet. Well, who's in front of him? Well, you got, you know, Riley Reef there, who's not going to be on the Bears next year. Who knows if he'll be in the league. Um, what's the issue? And it, the the, the uh, common sense answer would be, well, the guy's not maybe not lighting the world on fire in practice, so you have to trust an offensive lineman uh, to put him out there. And Keel Harry's going to be a free agent. I, I, I don't think he's on this team next year. I don't know that I need to see uh, more of him down the stretch. Made a, made a nice play on that uh, second reaction throw by uh, Justin Fields in the game, but he's not hes not part of the solution um, for the Bears' wide receiver issue going forward here. 
Uh, I can agree with Claypool, and I think they've been kind of working toward that a little bit. You know, the passing volume was up a little bit on Sunday. It was, what, 25 pass attempts, so it was up a, a tick. Uh, Cole Komet, we saw him more involved. You, you see what you can get out of him when he has uh, more opportunities. But, yeah, you, you would think that in the final four games there'd be a few things that uh, maybe they could – set forward is sort of mini goals to a little bit more of this guy if possible. Uh, so they have uh, a little bit more to evaluate. Certainly they need more than 10 snaps from Leatherwood to get a feeling of uh, how or where he should be slotted in 2023. So Brad, we're yeah. at the bye week, like obviously, and you take a step back and you look. You, first off, it's not fair for Biggs to assert that Leatherwood has been bad in practice. Uh, for one, it seemed everything we've heard when he got picked up by the bears was he lost his confidence in totality with the Raiders. Right. So that's a big thing to rebuild. Plus he, he got in a car crash and I think he had mono or something too. So he's had a couple of obstacles to overcome in addition to trying to rebuild this man's uh, mental stability. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I think the, the bears are, have probably played that correctly, even if he is looking good. In pra- you, we don't know if he's bad in practice. There, there, right now, someone's coming in a car crash in mono. Um, so we don't even, we, it's not fair to say that he sucked in practice. We don't know that. Again, they're just evaluating him, trying to build him up. And like this guy, he's a first round pick. Yeah, he lost his mojo, and that's hard to regain. It's like he was a fighter that got knocked out in the first round. We can use another Rocky analogy. He He's Rocky after he lost to Mr. T. <laughs> Apollo's trying to build him back up, take him back to where he started. That's what the Bears are doing here. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. I, I think it's it's unfair to suggest the guy hasn't been good in practice. I mean, especially when you don't know. You don't know that. Yeah, I agree with that. It's, it's not accurate reporting because <clears throat> he didn't witness it or that no one's told him he's been bad at practice. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's not a fair assertion at all, in my opinion what the Bears are and what questions have been answered. The biggest one surrounding Justin Fields, I think, is the, what has defined this season. But as you look at the other positions, and we talk about it all the time on either, either side of the ball, are the Bears, number one, worse than you thought at other positions besides quarterback? And secondly, have they, have, are they so bad at those spots that it's hard to envision we're pointing to 2023 is a hard to envision them doing all the work necessary to put themselves in a position to have a winning season next year. You can have a winning season um, and not have a great football team. Like there's a lot of, a lot of teams right now that I think you look around the league that are hovering around 500 and you look at them and you say, they're not real. I don't think they're real good. Right? Like, the Commanders, for instance, the Giants, for instance, right? I think both those teams have, what, seven wins right now? I don't have the standings in front of me. Um, you know, so is a winning season possible? Winning season would be possible, but I, for them to build a foundation, like they've talked about, you're talking multiple draft classes, right, to, to really kind of get a base uh, on both sides of the ball with some talent uh, built up to to do what? To try to, um, for the first time since 2005, 2006, 
experienced sustained success, right? That has been um, the Bears have had some moments where they've had some nice seasons since then. They really have. They have not done anything uh, in back-to-back years consecutively. That has been terribly elusive. Uh, and so if they're going about building this the right thing, can they get all this done this offseason? No, and there's not a prayer of that happening. Uh, they've got one premium draft pick, right? They've got the first-round pick. Uh, the second-round pick will be great coming from Baltimore. It's going to be probably bottom third. Uh, See, that's another thing he doesn't know. You know, if the Bears get the second or third pick, they can turn that into a fucking boatload of picks in this draft. You know, they, they'll have seven picks in this draft. They could end up with 10 of them and three of them or uh, being in the top 50 picks, some shit like that. Or so, maybe the kid from Alabama, if you draft him, is is like Lawrence Taylor. Exactly. I mean, you, you never know that the guy could be just a fucking, like, Hall of Fame caliber player, or he could be a bust. I mean, you just, there's no way of knowing on December the 6th right. what the draft class from May is going to, how that's going to impact 2023. Again, this is just based on his own negativity and his own thoughts on it. And maybe those thoughts end up manifesting to be accurate. But there's no way of knowing that yet. Yeah. I mean, I think he's applying his 30 years or 25 years, whatever it is. Uh, he's just like all of us. He's cynical because he's been around this fucking team for so many years and seen them constantly lose. I know where he's coming from, but I can't sit here and say that 2023 is just a fuck it. Oh, they're going to lose again. I thought you were friends with Brad Biggs. He blocked me. I don't know why. Like, Haw blocked me. That's and again, like I've told you, I'm a fan of David Haw. I don't like Mike Mulligan. I truly don't. I think he's boring as fuck. But Haw, I like. I liked him as a beat writer. I liked him uh, with Cap. And like I said, I have no idea why he blocked me. No, I'll ask him to come on. <laughs> Maybe he'll clear it up for us. I, well, uh, even I'll... David Kaplan told me he was going to get Haw to unblock me because I was like, man, I, I like him. I legitimately like him. I'm a fan. Like, I don't know why he blocked me. I, I didn't say anything malicious toward him. He follows me on Twitter, so I'll, I'll send him up. I know. Why don't you hand scribble something and then I'll take a picture of it? I legitimately like Haw, though. And and I don't think he's dumb or anything either. Like, I think he's a, he's a good personality on the radio. I'm going to. Uh, I don't like Brad Biggs. I mean, I did love that Lovey hated him so much. That's true, he did. <laughs> Whenever Lovey called on him, you could just tell every question this man asked Lovey. It's just like Lovey was like about to say, look, I'm done with this not swearing shit, okay? <laughs> Fuck you, Brad Biggs. <laughs> that would have been a moment. <laughs> yeah, God. The round, and um, they've got a ton of cap space, which I would caution people uh, not to think that uh, the general manager is going to go out there and try to use uh, all of it or most of it, because when you, you're that active in free agency, you rarely, um, that doesn't pay off. It's a proven recipe uh, for, for disaster, really, when you go bonkers in free agency, the teams. Sorry? I don't agree with that. As I pointed, I think it was last week, mm-hmm. the 06 line, four of those guys were free agents. Mm-hmm. The only homegrown talent there was uh, was Crutes. Uh, Everyone else was signed, whether that's Roberto Garza or, or John Tate, uh, who else was that? Ruben Brown and Fred Miller, all free agent acquisitions. And you built that line within a year and a half, and suddenly you're in the Super Bowl with it. Yeah. I, uh, I was, I, when I first heard that, I was wondering if you were going to agree with that or disagree with that. 
I mean, I, I guess if you have to to sign a bunch of people that says that you didn't draft well, mm-hmm. but if you sign the right people, you could have your offensive line in Super Bowl Forty One. I mean, it, that's the key right here, man. Is is to have a almost flawless offseason in terms of player acquisition. Got to get it right, Ryan Poles. That win in March uh, generally don't play uh, in January. Uh, I think he'll make some moves. I think he'll make some strong moves. But the idea that he's going to fill uh, five, six, seven spots in free agency seems a little uh, far-fetched to me. And then they asked uh, Albert Breer today again, uh, would you would you play Justin Fields the rest of the way? And this is what Albert Breer had to say. You know, it's interesting. I was um, you know, I was at the uh, I was at the the, the Texans Browns game on Sunday for obvious reasons, and you know, I was talking to you know one of the executives that that, that was on the sideline for that game, and um, you know, they said to me like, "Why are the Bears throwing him out there?" You know. Um, yeah, like I, I an AC joint, something that can get worse, guys. And what the fuck is this guy talking about? Yeah, why would he, he? He says for obvious reasons. I was at the Browns game. Why? Why is that obvious? <laughs> and why? Why would they be talking about the Bears and and uh, Fields' situation at the Browns game? Yeah, uh, well, he he works for NFL Network, so he must cover the Browns or something like that. I don't know, but. It just seems odd that this whole thing would even come up in conversation about with other NFL executives shutting him down. It's not an AC joint that he has. It's wrong. Anyways, these guys will will basically see what I was going to say. And I I would just I would just hope that they're not risking further injury here, um, because to me, like one of the biggest things um, coming out of this year is going to be Justin having a clean off season. And you know, if this is going to be the first time. In a long time, because, you know, when he was at Ohio State, that was in the middle of COVID, right? So if you really think about it, like, he hasn't had a clean off season with a carryover staff in a long, long time, right? Probably since high school, where he can go through what he did during the season and use it to build upon an off season program within the same system that he was running. And um, so, like, I... The biggest thing for me right now, if I'm the Bears, would be let's make sure that no matter what we do, whether we're playing him or not, the priority is getting him to the offseason in a position having in the offseason. He has a full, complete offseason where we can continue to build on what we did in 2022 and position him to be even better in 2023. So that's the way I look at it. And, look, I'm not a doctor, you know, um, but I know those questions are being asked among other teams in the league why the Bears are playing Justin. And I, I think the big thing for me, if I'm the Bears right now, with I think it's five games left, right, um, is to make sure that whatever you do, you're not putting him in a position where, you know, a, a good chunk of his offseason is going to be devoted to rehab rather than working and getting better. I, I feel like I've gone into a different dimension, a different football dimension. I have to be honest. With you, I've never heard this approach. I haven't. Like, I, I, are the Steelers going to sit Kenny Pickett? No. Are the Patriots, when they get knocked out of the, the division, going to sit Mac Jones? Mm-mm. Are the Jags going to sit Trevor Lawrence? Like, look, I get it. The intention is is to make sure you have a full offseason healthy 
developing with the rest of your team. Both, I get yeah, all both, of that. Can you can true. do it all. Yeah. The, the offseason will be important with the same coaches for the first time in a long time. But those reps that he gets in a real game cannot be duplicated in the offseason. Don't you think mm-hmm. that all of the young quarterbacks over the course of time, even when their seasons were, were not going to result in a postseason bid, all of that play was beneficial, whether it was Jalen Hurts, or name a young quarterback that got invaluable experience by playing in games that had no bearing on a playoff spot. Trevor Lawrence did it last year, had a really bumpy go of it, had a crappy coach, had a, you know, a, a horrible situation for the most part through 17 picks. And you've seen progress from him this year, right? Right. We, a lot of people have called what happened last year. Such a, a catastrophic thing for his development that this is like his real rookie year. You got to extend this as long as possible and you got to continue the development process. And again, they found a way to protect him in this last game against Green Bay. He did not get battered in the last game. He proved to everybody, and I was super concerned about his shoulder. I was worried about that, that he was healthy. He ran the football. He threw the football with accuracy from the pocket. We saw another. He showed you after the mini buy that he took a step. He showed you after a week off with the injury that he could take another step. Now let him show you after this bye bye, the full bye bye, that, that he could take that he could come out of this and take yet another step in at least these next three games. Then we'll discuss if we should shut him down for the final game. There it is, uh, Mr. Aguirre. Albert Breer was just saying things that like had no credibility to them at all. Like it's just like he's saying the most cliche thing. Period. Like you don't understand what I'm saying. It's like the low hanging fruit to use the analogy or a cliche. It's just like he's not saying anything of substance. Yep, I I totally agree. How do people like that get gigs? I don't. I don't understand. It's just like. Oh, I'm an expert because I talked to somebody. I can't tell you who I talked to, but they said they didn't know why Justin was playing. And I'm saying that too. Uh, he could get hurt. And I mean, if you're a bears, like uh, let's assume that Justin was hurt on Sunday. Mm-hmm. I mean, you saw that fucking another touchdown run, just incredible. The elusiveness, the agility, the dexterity. I mean, the speed, and obviously he was having a great passing day too until those two interceptions. Uh, and he's the whole fucking show. Mm-hmm. I mean, you want, you don't, the bears with four of their last five games at home, they don't want to see on television, a half empty soldier field. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the guy who's who's selling your tickets right now. Now I know everyone's got the tickets are sold, but, but still Christmas Eve, you saw a couple of years ago against Washington when we lost to Kirk Cousins, when the Redskins came in on Christmas Eve and it was like a third empty. People just say, "I don't need, I don't need to, I don't have to watch this shit. I can be with my family." They've got Buffalo on Christmas Eve. I mean, Fields is what's going to uh, to have that stadium full. That's why you play him. I mean, if the rest of the team is bad, again, I, we compare it to Michael Jordan. If this is like. The 1984, 85 Bulls that can't get in the playoffs, you know, no matter what, but still Chicago Stadium's full because of Jordan. Absolutely. You know what I'm saying? That, that's your compare. That's why you play him. What did you think about uh, Sylvie saying maybe sit him that final week 
seventeen against the Vikings. The game you and I are going to be at. <laughs> yeah, if, uh, if uh, God, that fucking guy used to be at Buffalo. What's his name? Uh, he's the backup now, Nathan Peterman. Oh yeah. If he's playing, if he's playing that game, it's going to be such a letdown. Oh my god. I, I would hope that if he's healthy, you just play him. You just play him. If he he's proved to me, he, he looked good against Green Bay. Mm-hmm. And now he's got two two more weeks to quote unquote heal. Mm-hmm. And he's got four games to go. Mm-hmm. Like Tom Waddle said, I've never heard of this theory that, well, we're not going to the playoffs, so let's not play our guy. Mm-hmm. Why wouldn't you play him and 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 just continue to have him get better? If anything, it it further emphasizes the front office's ability to say, okay, this is our guy. Yeah, that's one of the reasons why I always think the Chicago Bears as their third stringer should be a fucking rookie. Because if you drafted somebody in the seventh round of the draft and you've stashed him away in the practice squad, he's been playing uh, as the scout team quarterback all season, you're out of the playoffs in week 17, the Vikings are sitting their starters, you know, then that would be a great opportunity to put in that rookie to see what he could do. But to put Nathan Peterman in it? That that's a that's an insult to Bears fans if they do that. That's yeah, us directly, specifically to you and I. That's an insult. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that guy's a bum. I mean, he. I hate to say it. I mean, he really, really is a bum. And mm-hmm. I, I, of like the last five years, he's one of the worst quarterbacks I think I've I've seen. Like, I was just like, no, don't sign him. No, not him. You know. Yep. Saw him at the Senior Bowl, and I was like, yeah. <laughs> get out of here you should not be playing in the nfl and i was shocked when he was drafted um if you had a question for ryan poles what would it be hold on a second were you you're asking right now like if i if i had a question at a presser this week right yeah given you know everything that you've heard uh today uh, from these radio clips and everything that is frustrating you, if you had a question for, I'll, I'll play Ryan Poles. Ask okay. Me a question, okay. All right. Mr. Poles. Yes, sir. I don't know if you've heard, but there's this growing sentiment that people are suggesting that, I mean, it, it's like a joke, but some people are, are, the hypothesis is that the team is intentionally tanking games. I just want to know what your reaction is to, this rumor can you put this to bed what is what is your thought on what people are saying about this did you say it was bedtime okay good night everybody nice <laughs> <to the show. laughs> that's how he would answer that question because they are obviously tanking not in you know hey we're going to purposely lose this game but they're just making it so fucking hard for this coaching staff and and for justin fields to win games so or maybe the coaching staff isn't very good that's a possibility too. That's a strong possibility, but I've seen enough stuff. I mean, the way those defensive backs played uh, Sunday against Green Bay against Aaron Rodgers uh, and the Packers, I, I was inspired by their play. And you're talking scrappiness, about scrappiness. Yeah, they were doing everything right. I, you know, and the fact that the defensive line never even got close to. Spitting on Rodgers, I think, is more a testament either to bad coaching, as you said, or uh, or just lack of talent. But the, the they're they're playing hard. At least those defensive backs and Jack Sanborn is holy shit. Justin Jones is getting paid very well. 
Mm-hmm. And he's not doing anything. I mean, he's not doing anything. We should have signed Ogan Joby, even if he was still hurt. I mean, my God, he would yeah, do better I, than. I think Justin Jones has not been playing terribly. Uh, now they started moving him up and down the line. He actually played some defensive end. Uh, I think, I don't know if I've got that soundbite from Eberflus. But he, he, you know, and Danny Shipman disagrees with me. You obviously do. You think Justin Jones is not playing well, but I, I think he's I, been a terrible acquisition, just terrible. I think he could be a a a piece. You know, you need eight defensive linemen in today's football. He could be one of those eight as as a. He shouldn't be a starter. He should be coming in and and helping the stars of the team uh, get some rest and stuff. Um. All right. So, <laughs> time to play your Christmas card. What do you think? I know, I know you. I don't know where this is going, but I'm here. <laughs> Let's see. Uh, all right, this is uh, from Dan Aguirre. Did I capture your feelings? <laughs> yeah, but the two people right now, well, uh, one of us in politics. I don't want to bring him up. Okay. The, other two, the other two worst people in the world would be the person that I had to put a security system in my house for. <laughs> yes. Who openly, I got a message today, was bragging about my Walter Payton jersey and how great it was and how he was trying to sell it. That motherfucker. Yeah, so it makes me want to kill him. Um, I shouldn't say that. Uh, allegedly. Allegedly, <laughs> it makes me feel that way. Uh, <laughs> combine that with Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, those are the three worst people in the world. So all of them in those scenarios are, are good to me. All right. You got any more ideas for Christmas cards? Send them along and we'll uh, put them together. I got a couple more for next week. Um, all right, let's, uh, let's play some, uh, so I, I start videotaping, you know, I've always been videotaping video off the screen during bears games. And then once in a while I'll provide a commentary. Like I did, uh, I put this one on Twitter. Oh, this is just beautiful by Justin Fields here. The patience, you know, I was saying run, 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 but this is better because he's showing what he can do as a pocket passer. As long as he trusts that offensive line, he can make plays like this and save the wear and tear on his body. This is gorgeous. That's what I always wanted to do when I was a kid. I wanted to be an announcer. Yeah. Do you feel that way too? Yeah. Well, as I got older, uh, I did that in college, you know, for the, the college I attended. And it made me realize that I didn't want to be an announcer. Like I did okay. Mm -hmm. Like part of my... Uh, my class, I did it for a class as a senior mm -hmm. uh, on the radio. And part of that analysis was you had to listen to your broadcast back. And I mean, I did okay, but the, the thing I didn't like about being an announcer was that it made football my job. Mm. You know, I want to watch it as a fan. Right. And it made me, it just took me, like, if I had to do that every day, I think it would have, it would have made me dislike football so much, not dislike it, but. Football is my my outlet. Yeah. Right. What I turn to for fun. Right. So it made it work and not fun. So yeah. I knew after that I was like, I'm not, I'm not gonna be I'm not gonna pursue this any farther. Yeah. It's that's actually part of the reason why um I 
wanted to not do an after game show, me being on the show, because I didn't want to comment on it, you know, I, I, and I wanted just to just enjoy the game. And while I'm still directing Bear Football and I'm in on occasionally when one of the guys is out, I, I love it when I'm not on camera. I can just enjoy the game and uh, not have to analyze it immediately afterwards. I think it's, it's – I almost think it's too soon immediately afterwards to provide, like, professional analysis of a game. I, I want to go back and look at some tape and study it a little more, and that's fucking work, you know? Yeah, the thing I don't want to do, I don't want to be watching the Bears game and having to take notes. Yeah. And shit like that. I that that no, I'm watching this because and as bad as they are, three and ten, I'm still watching this for my enjoyment. Mm -hmm. And this is this is what I I mean, hell, I'm watching I, I sent you a clip of Eric Kramer making his first start with the Lions against the Bears in nineteen ninety one. I'm watching games from thirty one years ago. That's the other day, uh after the Bears lost, because I just wanted to go somewhere else and, and still but the Bears are still my outlet. You know, yeah. even if it's old bears, I love that part about you. You know that you really are a historian, and 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 you're a historian because you go back and watch these games religiously, and uh, and and like you said, you're not doing it to be a historian. No, you're you're be doing it for for pleasure, and you just you have a, a natural gift to retain so much. So good. For it's you. it's fun to to go back and just see the things that people would say like at that at, where they don't know the future that we know now, mm -hmm. the comments they would made about, Oh, this guy's going to be a star someday or, or things like that. You, you know, the answer now mm -hmm. it's almost like remember in back to the future too, where, uh, the guy that plays Biff gets mm -hmm. all his wealth because he knows the outcomes of the games mm -hmm. and that helped him become, they said they based that character off Donald Trump, by the way, uh, <laughs> I'm not making that up. But could you, it's, it's the same scenario, like where you have an almanac or now you have your phone and you could immediately look up the outcome of any game and stuff and you know the answers to it. And when you watch it in that era when they didn't know what was going to happen, they didn't know Stan Thomas was going to be a fucking bust. Mm -hmm. You know, they're praising him like, oh, this kid might turn into so, you know, I, I like, I like reevaluating things like that, you know, just mm -hmm. hearing what people were saying in that given moment. Yeah. Casey says the same thing for him. He's, uh, his friends have told him that he needs to open up a food truck because he loves cooking and doing that, but he wants to just do it as a hobby and a passion. He, he'd end up hating it if it was a job. A lot of us are that way, right? All right, let me, so. let me play another clip for you. Um, I got a few here. So as the game goes on, you know, I'm having a, a little whiskey. So. I don't want to hear any shit about Justin Fields should have sat. I'm having a good time. Look at this. Look at this. That's not Chris Conte back there. That's not Chris Conte. Yeah, fuck you, Randall Cobb. I hope you get caught after this year and you never play again. <laughs> but during that moment of the game, I felt like, man, I felt on top of the world. We were playing so well against the Packers. The fucking defense was even playing well. It was good to see. Randall Cobb not catch anything. Exactly. They took a couple of shots with him. He had two or three opportunities and didn't get any of them. Yep, exactly. I and mean, he was a bear killer his first go around in Green Bay, as you know. Retro says my pants were down to my ankles. Fucking hey, they were. Don't you watch the game like that? <laughs> <laughs> no, Dan and I do. <laughs> That's why I can't wait to see him in January. <laughs> Here's another one. Uh, this is uh, Fields. Uh, 
completion to EQ. Okay, Justin Fields is out passing Aaron Rodgers. Look at this. Look at this. Oh, my God, it's EQ. Oh, Packer fans, look at what you got to deal with. Next 10, 15 years. That's another reason why I'm happy. It's going to get better, baby. Sure hope so. <laughs> Man, you are, I've never seen you so down before. Well, if you think about the guys that we that I think, you know, were good quarterbacks such as Jim McMahon or mm-hmm. or or even Cutler, you know, they had they had their run like 7 or 8 years and and they were done and on the flip side, they had Favre for like goddamn 18 years or something and what oh, 92 to 07. Yeah, and then 08, he went to the Jets. And so, yeah, and Rodgers from 0, what, 5 until at, at least 22? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would love to have some sustained success like that with a guy, but we haven't done it. Oh, my gosh. It's going to happen. I feel it. I fucking feel it. It's There's no doubt in my mind that we finally have a superstar quarterback uh, in Chicago. It's going to fucking happen. Uh, and I don't even want to entertain. I don't even want to say, well, if 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 he stays healthy. No, fuck all that. It's going to happen. Here's another one. Maybe this is the play that will shut up all the Justin Fields haters. Maybe this one here. The outstanding pocket presence gives himself time and throws an anchor ball to Harry. Wow! Yeah, wow. Why Why does like Brad Biggs say, oh, number eight? Oh, we, well, we, we've seen enough of him. Mm-hmm. The times that he's played, he's done okay. Yeah. Considering you gave up a seventh round pick and he's a first round pick, like to me, he's a guy who should play the last four games and you can see if there's something there to re sign him, Mm -hmm. especially with Mooney out. There's no reason for him not to get extended playing time. Totally, totally agree. This is the time. Exactly. This is the time now where you're going to really make. You, you got an opportunity to make thorough evaluations of guys like Harry and EQ and Dante Pringle. And, and Pringle, those four guys. Because you know Claypool is coming back next season, and hopefully Mooney will be ready to rock. And, and Vegas is going to be back whether we want it or not. Exactly. So those four guys, can one of those guys in these last four games, can one of those guys say – I am going to be on this team next year because look at me. I'm scoring touchdowns for Justin. I, I really turned it up. I got an opportunity. He's throwing the ball to me six, seven times a game. This is it. That's that's one of the most interesting things that I'm going to be looking forward in, in these last four games of the season. We really want to see those guys play well. This is uh, speaking of playing well, David Montgomery, I love you. Come on, Cole Komet comes off the penalty. Let's see what Justin Fields is going to do. He's going to hand it off to David Montgomery. Look at the courage this guy runs with. My goodness. Gotta love David Montgomery. This guy should, we should all tattoo David Montgomery on one of our ass cheeks. What do you think, Dan? Did we? I don't know about the tattoo, but (laughs) if you had to answer right now, yes or no, is he gone? I'm going to say yes, and I don't want him to be gone, but it feels like he's going to be gone. He, he's, he's either going to stay because he's going to sign a contract way under market value, with which, again, uh, I've said this a, a few times lately, Spotrack has him at market value at $9.9 million, and I don't think he's going to get that kind of money. And if he really wants to stay with Justin and the Bears, sign a two-year, $10 million contract, $5 million each year with – 
50% of it guaranteed. That would be fair, I think, for both parties. But he's probably going to test the market. And he probably will find that it's very, very tough because there's a lot of really good, high-quality running backs out there. Do you think that the Bears should make a play for Saquon Barkley? He's a name, obviously. But he's gotten hurt twice, ironically, against the Bears yep. with some serious injuries, yep. uh, especially the one from, uh, was it 2020, I think, when he got hurt really badly at Soldier Field? Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know, man. I like I like David Montgomery. And if you told me that Saquon's going to come and to the Bears and, and give us some dimension that Montgomery's not capable of, then and he's going to be healthy, then maybe that's a good acquisition. But I like the guy that we drafted. I, I just feel like they're going to let him go. Mm-hmm. And like you said, he runs hard, man. He, he fucking runs hard. He's, he's a man's man, but I, I don't think they're going to bring him back. Yeah, I love the guy. He's one of my favorite Bears uh, of the last 10 years or so. He's just got so much heart. Um, he's such a good team leader. But the business side of me says probably should let him go. Um, we'll see how it plays out. Somebody said I should uh, show some Sanborn video. I did actually. Oops, let me fix this quickly here. Let me uh, let me play this. Sideline to sideline tenacity of Jack Sanborn is just so impressive. Look at him. Look at him get over. He didn't go parallel to the line of scrimmage. He went for the ball carrier. You wanted to get him at the line of scrimmage. Sideline. Did you see that, Dan? He's he's the middle line, or he's. Near the left hash. I wish I had a telestrator. But you would think that he's just going to go parallel and get the ball carrier after a two, three-yard game. But he fights through the fucking crowd here, and he says, no, I want this fucker. I want him in the backfield. Look at him come, number 57. Reminding me of Dick Butkus. Look at this motherfucker. <laughs> oh, maybe that's something to build on, man. Yeah, that's, that's what I'm saying. You got a guy giving you maximum effort, mm-hmm. such as Sanborn. They, we don't have anyone on the practice squad or even a reserve, somebody to put in on the defensive line that can just give you sheer effort and passion. That would exceed what we're getting on the output. If you just had a guy like that on the front four, mm-hmm. everyone else is complacent up there. It seems. Yeah. I I'm with you, man. I'm with you on that. Hey, uh, I think I need to take a bathroom break. I think you probably <laughs> need to take a bathroom yeah. break. I'm going to, uh, I don't have a commercial handy, but I'll, I've got a, a two minute soundbite from Eberflus, uh, that we can use here. It is Eberflus talking about Alex Leatherwood and the 10 plays that he got to see. And he was asked, you know, what do you think about, uh, his play and could we be seeing more of him? This is head coach, Matt Eberflus. Alex played well, you know, he's first action in there. I think it was 10 plays, um, you know, so overall, a really, really nice performance by him. And it doesn't surprise us, you know. Uh, we're anxious to get him in there and see how he would do. Uh, but it doesn't surprise us because he's had great maturation in the system, you know, working inside and outside. And um, and he, he did really well in practice. So we saw it in practice. So we, we, were, we were expecting it to see it in the game, but we were excited to see it. Did he play well enough that now you, you want to see him in a full game? You guys yeah, we'll see. We'll see. We're going to, you know, obviously this is a big part for us this, this uh, next few days um, to evaluate, you know, the process. And we're we're going to do a self-scout from New England all the way to now um, to see where we are personnel-wise, scheme-wise, what can, what can we get better at 
Uh, we did get a, a few things with the players, uh, two or three things that players can get better at so they can look at that on tape uh, as they go about their business this week and come back to us next Monday. So um, for sure, you know, certainly on a rotational basis, you know, I can say that for sure. We'll see where it goes from there. Um, and then put our best guys out there. That's a case where he may not be as good as Riley Reeve today, but if he's Leatherwood, if he's playing well enough and he's young and could be part of your future, is that a decision you're willing to make to play a guy, play him, because of what it might gain you down the road? Yeah, I mean, we're always looking at uh, the guys. You know, it was great to look at a lot of those secondary pieces yesterday, and it's certainly good to look at uh, Alex in that same way. You know, so we'll let it grow naturally and let it see where it goes in practice and see how he performs in the games. And if he keeps performing like he did, he'll get more reps and more reps and compete for that spot. Hola, Heidi, como estas? Heidi Zimmerman in the chat room. I got another uh, Eberflu soundbite while uh, Dan is out uh, powdering his nose. Um, this is uh, uh, Eberflus was asked about Justin Fields. Hey, when's he going to start you know, pulling these games out in the fourth quarter? Point. How much of finishing is really on Justin making it happen? Well, it's the nature of the position, right? I mean, that's what it is. You know, the quarterback, you know, gets a lot of things that are put on him, you know, in terms of praise and everything when everybody's blocking in front of him, clean pocket, you know, the receiver's running the correct route and all the positivity that a lot of that goes to the quarterback, you know, uh, the, the, the media puts it there, the fans put it there and all that. But really, it's all 11 guys. And it's the same thing with the criticism, right? It all goes to the quarterback. Well, it's not warranted that way because it's all 11 guys, you know, so it's, it's a team game, you know, and uh, to me, it, it is because if you ha don't have all the guys doing the same thing at the same time, the right way, it's hard to execute. It just really is. So um, to me, it's all 11. And again, certainly our quarterback is running the huddle. Um, he's running the plays and he'll be a big uh, instrumental part to our success um, in the future. And, uh, and we're getting him in those situations, and he's, and he's doing a good job. I thought the two-minute operation was much better um, to, me, to me in terms of the operation of it. You know, it looked crisp. It looked clean. Pocket was clean. Ball was out on time. Um, when you look at both of those drives, um, and, and to me it looked a lot better. But do you see him as a guy who can develop, a quarterback who can develop into the guy who wills performance out of his teammates, gets the, gets the wide receiver to come back and block and, and knock that ball down or, or, or make the blocker, you know what I'm saying, that wills performance. Is that what it takes to, to, to turn these losses into victories? Yeah, that's a good point, and I, my, I would say yes. I believe that to be true. Um, I know I know the man inside after being with him for a year and the grit he has and the talent he has, uh, no question he's going to get it done. I love how Iberflus is now directly saying that Fields is going to be the guy. You know, earlier in the season, they were very cautious with the wording. And now it's like full force. They know they got their quarterback. They know they got something special. They know they got a guy who can potentially transcend, do what Lamar Jackson has been doing for the Ravens, but do it even better. And so I'm, I'm excited by that. How was your piss, man? It was like four <laughs> minutes long, but <laughs> it was. Good. I had the longest pisses, man. Really? Why is that? It feels like when I, you know how it is when you wake up, you yeah. have like that, oh God, I haven't pissed in seven hours or whatever. It feels like that way every time I'm pissing. It's just like, how many times do you go a day? Uh, God, I don't know. As I've gotten older, of course, I piss more. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's they're just they're long, man. Like if I'm in a restroom, like in a public setting, 
I feel like I'll be pissing. Someone else will come in, piss and wash their hands. And I'm still pissing. <laughs> like I will be pissing when they come in. And, and like I said, I'm still pissing after they've, <laughs> after they've gone. Uh, Jesus. So you got the, uh, the Austin powers piss, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like he continued to piss every, every they thought he was done, you know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, Richard says it's probably the beer, but you're not drinking beer. No, I don't really drink much alcohol. The last two times I've drunk alcohol have been at your house one year apart, you know? <laughs> you ready well, to get I, well, I didn't even drink beer there. I was drinking vodka this, right. this past time. You were knocking him down, man. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Heidi's podcast comes out tomorrow. It's in Spanish, but you should take a listen to it anyways because there's nothing better than three sexy ladies talking about the Chicago Bears. Oh, Heidi's Heidi's uh, immaculate. Immaculate. I like that word. All right, I got two more clips from the game to share with you. This is when I was starting to get frustrated with Getsy. So uh, Luke Getsy, not exactly gutsy. Uh, gets conservative here, and the Bears got to settle for three points. So here's Cairo Santos to make it a 22-17 game. Oh, man, this sucks. What the fuck was that? It, 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 like, he was afraid to hit the fucking ball. What the? They should bring kickers in on Tuesday, especially this week. Or I guess today's Tuesday night now, but on their typical off day, you've got a you got a week off too, and and just let him know, hey man, you can be replaced. Well, I would, I would. Do you remember uh, when uh, Steve McMichael kicked a, a couple of field goals? Or yeah, yeah, of course. I would start asking guys on the team. You guys want to fucking take a shot at this? <laughs> fucking Sanborn. You I bet Fields could do it. He can oh, do yeah. he can do anything. Oh yeah. Oh, look at this, man. You got a love letter from uh Heidi. Oh, I love Heidi. I'm so jealous. I'm so so jealous. She's so I love the fact A that she's a Bears fan. Mm-hmm. Yep. B, she's incredibly beautiful. Yes, she is. And C, she sounds like Penelope Cruz when she talks. That is true. That is true. All right, got one more here. Of uh, yeah, fuck Cairo Santos. I, I love you. Close, as <laughs> John Fox would call him. <laughs> yes, you know it, it's really one of those things. I love our field goal kicker until he misses a kick, and then I want him out the door. Out the door, you little big C. Yeah, it's just the fact that whenever he misses something, it's like he's suddenly bad for three games mm -hmm. before he can regain any confidence. Even if it's just like the game, the one in Pittsburgh where we had him try to kick one from like sixty-four last year, right, or sixty-three, whatever it was. And he missed, and it's like, you know, most people thought, you, you know, hell, you were trying a kick way past your – it was a, a desperation kick. We, we're not going to hold you accountable for that miss. Mm -hmm. But then he started, again, for a couple of games. He sucked after that. Yep. And take, take so, a look at uh, Luke. Lower the audio on this. But when he, he, when he approaches the ball, Dan, it's like he – I don't know if he stutter steps or he just slows down. I think that's what it is. It's like in golf when, when you're going to take your swing. you got to commit to it. But he – look at the way he approaches the ball. So hesitantly. or may, Because maybe he missed that extra point, and it's in his mind, and he, he, he goes mentally. He can't sustain it. I mean – Fucker. And see, the thing about Cairo is 
And the thing that I praised him for was because his consistency to make his field goal attempts. Now, generally, he's more of a, you know, when you get over 46 or something, he's pushing it, you know, for his distance. But you can live with the if the guy's general longest kick is, I mean, I know he's had one to what, 53, I think is his long, 54, maybe 55, something, <clears throat> pardon me. But that's definitely the outlier. So if you're, if you're a Santos fan and you, you can live with him because he's almost automatic from zero to 47. So you can deal with not having a kicker like Zerline who can kick from 60 plus, which makes me so jealous. But when he's suddenly missing extra points mm-hmm. and can't consistently make the ones that the re- that's the reason he's here, then why is he here? Do you think, as Danny Parkins might surmise, that he's in on the fixed? Oh, God, no. No, for everything that I just said, Santos is definitely trying and I appreciate it. And I want him to, to get out of his slump. Yep. Me too. But I think all of his problems are mental. Without a doubt, without a doubt. And the only way to fix it is to bring in competition and mentally toughen him because if he he doesn't get it together, then we have to bring in somebody. All right. Right. Here's my my last one. All right. Here's the punt. Looks like a fucking great punt. Oh, shit, but fucking Cobb, man. Why doesn't he? Ooh, look at the lateral. Oh, no. I've been drinking. God, <laughs> I, I hate Randall Cobb. I gave it up. I gave it up after that because I was fucking seeing things. I thought, I thought he lateral. <laughs> Anyways, yeah, Cobb has been a killer, man. That fucker. He's, I, I, him, Rogers. who else from the Packers used to really do it? Oh, uh, the, the Clay Matthews. The oh. third with the long hair, that fucker. That he was... always had big games against Cutler, like mm-hmm. sack wise. You know, like he had the the most of his sacks were always against the Bears. Yep, and he was a dirty fucking player too. Clay Matthews was one of the dirtiest fucking Packers, and I've seen a lot of dirty fucking Packers players. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> none more dirty than the late Charles Martin. He's the worst. That guy is, is didn't didn't he die? Yeah, that's why I said the late Charles Martin. He died in like 05. Uh, yeah. It, yeah, he died a long time ago. Yeah, and at the time I was saying to anyone that will listen, I'm glad this son of a bitch is dead. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, what are you talking about? I was like, he fucking almost ended Jim McMahon's career. You they, fuck him. Mm-hmm. He, fucked sh- he, he did have, I think, a role in really fucking up McMahon's career. Don't yeah, you think? Jerry, there was an article in the I can't remember if it's the Sun Times or the Tribune. Uh, around the time that Charles Martin died, where Jerry Markbright was being interviewed, the referee, if you recall, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and he was saying that he was so worried he didn't he didn't know how he was going to calm the Bears down or even the stadium mm-hmm. when that happened, and and um, and he said that you know he got through the game, but from his estimation, McMahon was never the same player mm-hmm. or never able to throw the way he was before that injury. Right. Uh, again, Jim had his moments, uh, you know, 300 yard games here, there, and got back on Sports Illustrated. He was comeback player of the year, mm-hmm. uh, but he was never like the guy that's going to win you 20 plus games in a row after that injury. Mm-hmm. By the way, a bunch of people in the chat room, Dan, have asked about uh, the Tooch, and I apologize to the Tooch that we, we don't know either. No, we don't know where the fuck he We is. were talking about it before. Yeah, I, I'm working there. I was like, I think he's still in the Philippines. Mm-hmm. Let's I, hope he's not committed a crime like that girl from the WNBA. 
Did you ever see the movie Midnight Express? Oh yeah, the the movie that's the prison movie. Yeah, the one Oliver Stone wrote the screenplay of. Exactly. Yeah, I forgot he, he wrote that. That's yeah, right. that movie's dark, man. It's man. Oh, the man. worst part, like to me, that just made me feel so like, oh, was like when the the lady I can't remember who she was, like what actress. I haven't watched it in a while. She comes to visit him in prison, right? And He's like freaking off. Yeah, he like comes in like ten seconds from seeing her her breast or something. It's just like that's right. Yeah, man. Could you imagine being that far apart from women that just like the sight of a tit would make you come? I mean, like God, I hope that never happens to me. Well, wow, fuck, it happened to me in the theater as soon as I saw her tits. I, 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 <laughs> five seconds. That is my favorite part on Forrest Gump, though. Oh, know, yeah. he's, he's like, oh. <laughs> he says he ruined i'm sorry i ruined your your roommate's bathrobe <laughs> either that or when he says uh i'm sorry i ruined your black panther party that's another great line that is a good one <laughs> <laughs> bj says tooch is out making a porno movie it may, imagine making a porno movie in the philippines where he could I, be in jail there are no decency laws i, I believe I, I shouldn't say that without knowing for sure but yeah he could be in jail <laughs> If I, I were going to the Philippines, isn't that where? Uh, now, what country was Ali Frazier three in? Uh, Manila. Oh yeah, okay. that is the Philippines, right? <laughs> yes, it is. Yeah, that's where I would be wanting to go see, like the site. Oh fuck you know, it! Hey. Yeah, I take a picture like where the fight was held. <sighs> you saw the documentary, right? The King King of Kings. Oh yeah, yeah, sure. The four George Foreman one. Yes. Listen. I don't care if you're a boxing fan or not. You need to watch the documentary King of Kings. It, uh, this was there. Somebody was commissioned to shoot film of everything that was happening in the lead up to the fight between George Foreman, who everybody thought was going to annihilate Muhammad Ali, and Muhammad Ali. And uh, the fight was delayed, and the crew stayed in Manila for an extra month or two because George Foreman got an injury. They captured unbelievable footage many years later somebody bought the footage and put it all together and released the movie and it's a sensational that it's it, it's amazing to me that somehow the, they looked at foreman as being an asshole because he brought his dog because mm -hmm. oh, they wait a minute. i'm sorry to interrupt no by year that was foreman and uh, ali yeah 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 the thriller exactly. Miller was joe frazier and yeah ali Donald. Yeah, that's that's the third one. And man, uh, what I was going to say real quick about the Foreman fight. Uh, it's like the crowd thought that he was like an Uncle Tom because he had a dog with him. And then between that and and Ali basically getting them to chant that he, you know, he was telling him he wasn't a real black man. And what was it they were saying? Like basically saying Ali kill Foreman or something to the. Ali Bumbaye, Ali Bumbaye, which means kill him. Yeah, it's just like, yeah. man, like for all the praise that Ali gets, I mean, he really used the racial card against his uh, the other black uh, fighters, and yeah. like in a lot of ways, I mean, he was kind of a piece of shit, man. I know no one wants to hear that because he's an icon. Yeah, but the stuff he did on Frazier specifically was so low. That's another good documentary mm -hmm. called uh, something like. A, a nation indivisible or something it was on HBO culminating in the first fight. 
right. all the stuff that for, uh, that uh, Joe Frazier did just to get Ali into the fight. Mm-hmm. Like he was giving Ali money because Ali spent all of his money on defense attorneys because of the bullshit with with Vietnam and such, and um, and trying to not go to jail. Mm-hmm. So, and again, I'm not denigrating Vietnam veterans. My dad was a Vietnam veteran. Just saying that again. Uh, but you know, politically, whether you agreed with him or not, all of his money was going to attorneys, and Frazier was giving him money. And just being his friend and like, I understand why Frazier died just with utter, utter bitterness toward him. Yeah, it was, it was bullshit. And, and, uh, Ali did apologize to him late in his life, but I, from what I read, if I recall correctly, Frazier accepted the apology, but the, the, the pain was still there. The fucking anger. He never talked to his corner man again. Uh, after he threw in the towel and after the 14th round in uh, the third fight. Mm. I mean, if you go back and watch them, like the second fight, Ali's holding the back of his head the whole night. And there's that fight. There's like no action in it at all, but they're allowing him to get away with holding him the whole fight. Mm-hmm. So the second fight, I don't know if it's conclusive. It's, a, it's more or less a draw to me because there was not much going on. I agree. In that third fight, Frazier's going to win. Yep. The only time I ever heard Ali, if you watch the rest of the fight after uh, when he realizes that they've thrown in the towel and Frazier can't, you know, compete, mm-hmm. uh, Cosell's in the in the ring and Ali drops to his knee and he was like, he's saying something like, this is the closest thing I've ever come to death. Yes. And. And he go, he says, Joe Frazier is the best fighter in the world. He's like, you mean other than you? He goes, yeah, other than me. Mm-hmm. But that's what he said initially. It's so it it's so um, interesting how matchups, like you know, he's giving Ali all he can handle, but Foreman just rips his ass in both fights. He knocked he knocked Joe Frazier down six times in two rounds in the first fight. One of the knockouts or knockdowns, Frazier actually. Were levitated up. He he got punched, and Frazier went up off the canvas and like flew down. That's the way I I remember seeing it as a kid. It was I, I think it was like ABC Y World of Sports was telecast live, and Frazier literally came off the canvas because of the ferocity of Foreman's punches. I mean, I don't know if there's ever been a a, a boxer who could hit as hard as George Foreman. That guy was a beast, and and it took for Foreman to lose to Ali. Again, just the crowd turning on him the way they did. And like, I guess he just wanted to kill him, you know? And then Ali's just sitting there waiting, you know, for seven rounds, not throwing any punches, just sitting on the ropes. And George gets tired. Mm-hmm. And that's when he opens up. Yep. I mean, it fucked Foreman up so much. He just gave up fighting for what, 15 years? Mm-hmm. And came back out. And then uh, thankfully beat Michael Moore, though, and got his title back, at least briefly. Yep. The, uh, by the way, what did you think of Howard Cosell? Did you get to follow any of his work? Yeah, I mean, all in hindsight, because mm-hmm. I was three when he got fired on Monday Night, from Monday Night Football. But sure. the boxing, uh, his boxing is so fucking great. Like, when you're listening to Cosell do the boxing, uh, it, it just feels like a huge fight. Mm-hmm. It, he's like a big fight kind of voice. Yeah. Like, Jim Lampley had the same kind of effect on me, too, where just it feels like it's big with Lampley and... Uh, what was the guy's name? Uh, shit. Uh, the analyst they had forever before Kellerman took over on HBO. Oh, uh, Larry Merchant. Yeah. 
Yeah, Larry Merchant. It's just a big fight. It's a big fight. Mm. Yeah, so Cosell, I thought, was uh, great on Monday Night Football and boxing. Yep. I was definitely a fan from what the stuff I've heard. Yep. I, as a kid, I bought his book, uh, his autobiography called uh, Cosell by Cosell, and fell in love with him. I mean, everything the guy went through to get into sports broadcasting and his style of broadcasting, tell it like it is. Um, and, you know, and, but he, he was also an asshole. Uh, he treated people sometimes unkindly. Uh, one example, Frank Gifford uh, was interviewed once, and he says, you know, Howard came up to my wife, and says to my wife, you know, it's not too late. You can get out of this marriage with this loser. And I think Cosell was ribbing him, but really bothered uh, Gifford. You know, maybe maybe he's, Gifford was too uh, sensitive. But there's so many stories about Cosell just saying the wrong thing and getting under people's skin. But as a broadcaster, the guy was fucking phenomenal, man. And it's so sad that the Alvin Garrett thing gets him fired mm -hmm. because at least on the documentary that I saw that he always called his kids little, little gorillas. Mm -hmm. And obviously they were white and he was just talking about Garrett being so short. It reminded him of his like kids and his grandkids, but he didn't really have a racial component to it, but the outrage got him fired mm -hmm. because they thought that he was saying it about his, his, uh, like a racial prejudice, which from all accounts, wasn't true. Well, and again, it, yeah, it definitely wasn't true. With the, what that guy did for civil rights, there's just no way he would have done that. Yeah, and it was just you know a few people started to make the fucking, uh, you know, accusation, and it went wildfire, and it was unfair to the guy. Uh, by the way, who was it that just said um, that Mo Beerman was breaking news? Referee Mills Lane passed away today. Let's get oh. it on. He was great. Man, he my my most vivid memory of Mills Lane, other than the let's get it on, was Holyfield Tyson too, with the ear biting. Mm -hmm. And Tyson actually says to him, I didn't do that or whatever. And it's on a live mic. And Mills Lane look, he's talking to somebody and looks by he goes, oh, bullshit. He looks at Tyson and points and says, bullshit. You didn't bite him. He's like, I fucking saw it. But he goes, bullshit. <laughs> what a moment in time. Did you watch that fight live? I did. Yes. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. I saw something fly out of his mouth. And I said, what the fuck was that? Did he bite him? <laughs> yeah, he did. The Tyson camp did have a point if you watched the first fight. And Mike was so, like, cool about it after because he – Holyfield kept headbutting him over and over and over and cut him. He had this massive cut in the first fight because of a headbutt, and they never deducted any points against Evander every time it kept happening. Mm -hmm. So you get into this second fight, and he starts doing it again. Yep. And you, uh, Mitch, Mitch, somebody was the the referee in the first fight. I can't remember his last name. And then Mills Lane was the second one. Right. But it's like he sustained like four headbutts. The, all of them causing cuts, and they never even deduct a point from Evander. So uh, that is all that combined is where that ferocity came from, I think, with Mike when he's like, I've had enough of your shit, man. Mm -hmm. You know, and that's when all that came out. I mean, I'm not trying to say that, uh, you know, Tyson's the victim here, but I can understand why he felt the way he did in the heat of the moment. Yep. Well, and another dirty thing that Holofield was doing is when he would punch, he would 
also get his forearms into Tyson's face. So he would come around like that. And then with his forearm, just knock him. And Tyson complained about it two or three times, and the official didn't do anything. He, he didn't recognize, I guess, or didn't want to recognize that uh, Holyfield was doing this dirty tactic, and that was really aggravating Mike Tyson. And so when you aggravate Mike Tyson, he's going to fucking bite your ear off. <laughs> yeah, and it to give Evander credit, though, I mean, they were supposed to fight before the Desiree Washington stuff happened. That's right. And if you listen to Evander talking, man, he was like always adamant that, oh, I'm not afraid of this guy at all. Mm -hmm. Like Evander's all heart, especially at the, by the time he beats Tyson, he's like, he's gone through like a heart problem. Uh, and he like Riddick Bowes put him on his ass twice, basically. Mm -hmm. I mean, it looks like he's washed up. Yeah. It's and, and he, but he's not afraid of Tyson at all. And I think and he ends up beating him in what the 11th round, I think in the first one. I mean, yeah, I don't remember, but it was late in the fight though. Yeah. And then in the second fight, uh, Evander, I mean, it's his ear. I'm not saying he deserved to have his ear bitten off. I know it was surgically repaired, but still he deserves some of the fault in that madness of, of what was happening though. And, and never owned up to that at all. It's just all this man's crazy. He's a thug and and he he could have fought me when we were fighting and now he's got all this fight after the fight's over. I mean, man, again, you were getting away with a lot of dirty shit and he lost his cool. Wow. Good memories, man. Those were the days. That's when like Tyson fought like you had to buy the pay-per-view. Yeah. You had to. Right. You were going to miss something if you didn't. I mean. Very true. And before that, he was on HBO and they were free, you know? So, I mean. I saw most of his career by the time he had won the title as a kid. I saw almost all of his fights. Yeah. Fucking scary guy. Knocking people out in the first round. Fight after fight after fight. PJ's grandson wins the, uh, finishes the state champs runner up in class 5A. Congratulations, PJ. That is pretty awesome. I remember maybe months ago and mentioning his grandson was, was running. And I said, keep us up to date on how he does. And uh, that is freaking phenomenal what's going on over at the um on the uh warnock predicted winner by new york times so it looks like we've got another democrat in the senate does that make you happy dan can i really <laughs> answer this honestly without pissing somebody off sure go for it. you're fucking right it does <laughs> <laughs> look at our numbers going down for you <laughs> the herschel seems like a bad candidate i mean even oh from the republicans God. i mean the dumb shit that he says, like, this is going to be a great erection. I mean, <laughs> did you hear him say that? Yes, he did. He yeah. said erection. He fucking called it an erection. I mean, and then obviously all the the, the problems with the women and, and the abortions and not living in Georgia and, like, even his taxes saying he didn't, you know, I mean. So, I mean, he just seems like, like, I will say, I told my mom this when she was upset when Hillary lost. I said. Hillary was a bad candidate because she's so polarizing. So many people don't like her. So even if she is qualified mentally, she's not the best one you should jam on the ticket because so many people just don't like her. Yep. And I feel like that for the Republicans, Herschel was a bad candidate. Right. She should have uh, told Obama after Obama beat her. And he said, you know, Secretary of State, he should have told her, she should have told him no Supreme court because, you know, she would have gotten the votes, I believe. And, sure. uh, she would have, you know, as opposed to running another campaign and again, running another 
terrible, terribly managed campaign. It was shocking to me. It makes me think that Clinton, Bill Clinton, probably would have lost the when he ran for president the first time if it wasn't for uh, Ross Perot. Ross Perot. Yeah. Um, they just don't know how to run a presidential campaign. But, but it's like Bill had, he had, like, to use it as a sports thing, like we say, Fields has got that it factor. Mm-hmm. That intangible, like this guy's a star. He's going to be a star. Mm-hmm. Bill Clinton had that. It's like if Clinton's in a gym, you know, in front of 5,000 people giving a speech, all 5,000 people walk out thinking this guy was talking to me personally. Mm-hmm. Like he, he just has something that makes people feel hope. And it's the opposite with her. Mm-hmm. And she's so qualified in terms of like her acumen and her ability. She's intelligent as fuck, is what I'm saying. But she does not have that charisma that Barack had and that Bill Clinton had. And that's why her campaigns, between that and you don't, you get a sense that she's not authentic, that everything is staged. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's like, you remember Dukakis got in that tank and that ruined his campaign, right? Because everybody knew how fucking fake it was. Like, he, this guy's not a fucking veteran in a tank. In that moment, that's kind of the campaign that Hillary ran. Like just everything she did just made it seem like she was a robot. Mm -hmm. I would have been like, find a way to show who you really are to people, change people's minds. Just talk to people. You know what I mean? It just felt like she was reading from a fucking teleprompter. Maybe she doesn't. Uh, Maybe she is a, you know, an unlikable person in real life. Uh, You know, maybe she can't seem likable because she isn't likable <laughs> i don't know <laughs> but i I'm, I'm glad the clintons are no longer in our political lives <laughs> that's for sure um so we've got a, a new senator uh in the senate the democrat warnock we've got some people in the chat room who just do not like warnock they think he's an abortion loving vampire or whatever it was now that must mean that those were the republicans <laughs> yeah exactly yeah, that's a, that's something I want to say. I, I got to say, and I don't want to piss anybody off, Sorry. but it's crazy that there are people that think as Democrats that we like drink blood and we like to eat children. Like, I mean, come on, that's fucking crazy talk. Like that, that's absolutely like, it's insane. You might not like the party. You don't, you want to denigrate your opponent. I get it. That's politics. Mm-hmm. But if you really believe that they drink the blood of children and stuff like that, then you've really gone so far to the right. You're not even aware of it. Yeah. It's, it's disturbing that, you know, and, and the far left comes up with their own bullshit too, about some of the conservatives, although in my opinion, not as, not as much because right now Democrats are just allowing the Republicans to fucking hang themselves with some of the stupid accusations and and not having the courage. Like John McCain had the courage to tell that lady at a campaign. Obama was a good man. Yeah, exactly. He had courage that, that, that means something that means that now, you know, we can work together, hopefully work together, Democrats and Republicans reaching some type of solution to our problems. But now what you get is just, you got a bunch of Republicans who are not interested in solving problems. They're interested in creating scandals. This Hunter Biden thing, they're going to sp- spend taxpayer money on that, like they did on Hillary Clinton and, and that thing where they had Benghazi for oh, over, and over and over. Over and over, 50 some million dollars were spent on that. 
and they found nothing. And, and they admit it. Yeah, we, we didn't even find anything. Um, and so we can we need to stop this stuff. Uh, although I'm very, real happy to hear that Trump organization was found not guilty. I mean, what fuckers? Dan and I were talking before the show. As an American, I feel an obligation to pay my taxes. I gotta, I gotta fucking pay for our military. These these guys out there are fucking risking their lives for us. Gotta pay for the first responders. Uh, I got got to pay for firefighters and and uh, police officers. Those those are where my taxes are going. I want I want my fucking roads paved. I want exactly. to invest in science so that we can advance with you know uh, medicine and, and stuff like that. That so taxes are a necessary evil. And if those of us who have enough to pay taxes, we should. And those who have a lot of money should pay a lot more than guys like Dan and me. Yeah, so plus I don't want to go to jail. That's another thing. Yeah, so, exactly. <laughs> that's a huge deterrent. Uh PJ say it's it's not just the Republican Party. Hey, listen, I um I know there's a lot of fucking assholes in the Democratic Party. A lot of assholes. It's hard to find really good politicians, really honest politicians. We got one here, man, Joe Manchin. <laughs> one of the worst senators in the whole fucking country. Yeah, but where where's uh Mr. Shorty? He's not in the chat room. Oh, he, there he is, Mr. Shorty. You wanted to see this. He says he wanted to see me smoking some marijuana. Watch this. Oh, I know something I want to ask you about uh, as well. After you take your hit there. All right, go ahead. Tell me your recollections of going to the Mike Ditka show, the one the, yeah. with Tom Waddle there. Mm -hmm. Well, I went to all of them. And uh, I was hired at WBBM-TV in 1985, April of 1985. And so um, when September came along and the Mike Ditka show, which I believe was on Monday nights, uh, yeah, they would, uh, they were, oh, they weren't Monday nights. They were in the middle of the week and uh, they would show them later in the week. Yeah, before, before the game. Before the game, right. And so uh, every fucking week I was there uh, and I actually got to direct one of the episodes, not direct, uh, produce one of the episodes when the producer, Phil Wolf, had to go on vacation and he asked me to fill in for him. And that was the fucking one of the highlights of my professional life, working with Johnny Morris, uh, Mike Ditka and his guest at the time. Fuck, I am forgetting the player's name right now. God damn it. But being uh, off to the side, just relishing all of this great football talk and, and feel, feeling, really feeling the presence of Mike Ditka because he was that type of guy where he walks into a fucking room and you know somebody somebody larger than life just entered the room. Oh, yeah, right. it's Mike Ditka. And so that was sensational. I don't recall a lot of the things that were said in that Waddle episode, so thank you for, for sharing uh, that clip. It, it jogged the memory that I was there, but I was there for when Walter Payton was there. I got to uh, shake his hand in uh, the green room. Um, I don't know how, exactly how that happened because we weren't allowed in the green room, but I think Phil, the producer, said, ah, you want to come and meet him? And so I went back there, shook his hand, and fucking Walter's hand, I'll never forget this. It was like three times the size of my hand. And you know when when you know you're you're going to shake hands with a guy with a good grip i know this guy's got a good grip and so you know you squeeze down a little harder right. he still hurt my hand 
he still hurt my hand. So uh, those are those were just great days. And, and another thing that was so great about it was the energy by the fans who would come in to watch the show live. You know, they would line up. Uh, they wouldn't be allowed in the lobby because at, at the time that the channel two lobby was too small to have. So th they'd line up in the street on cold winter days all around the corner uh, to get in and, and, and get their seats. And it was just so much fun to see this. When this town, uh, when the bears are playing well, this town loves the fucking bears, like no other sport, more than the Cubs, more than the white Sox, more than the six time champion, uh, uh, Chicago Bulls, more than the three-time champion, recent three-time champion Chicago Blackhawks. The Bears are so beloved by this city. And to not have that love manifest itself because that we've we've been so terrible for such long periods of time is is so disappointing because I really want to experience that again. And, and, and instead, what we experience is on a loss, like the Green Bay loss, I hate to go outside because – I sense that people are in a bad mood, you know, people cutting you off in traffic, you know, you go to the store and people are like, hey, what do you want and stuff? It's awful. I want to get back to winning again. And I really believe it's, it's, it's coming, brother. It's coming. When, when I would go back and watch some of those Ditka shows and just listening to him talk, I'm like, we wanted this guy gone. You know, like he should have been like Chuck Knoll. Like he should have coached until, until he was just so fucking old. He couldn't do it anymore. He should have been the face of the bears at least until 2000. In my opinion. I mean, the guy only had three years or, or no, four is the last one. Mm -hmm. so he, seven of the 11 years he's in the playoffs. Unbelievable. And the years he didn't make is 82 and 83 and he first started. 82 is a strike year. That's hard for anybody. 83, he's 8 and 8 on the cusp. And then 89, he's 6 and 10. And 92 is 5 and 11. But every other year he's in the playoffs. Mm -hmm. And renewables, uh, regarding my little rant there, he's, he asked, does the Chicago Sky still play? Yes, they do. And I really like watching them. I've gone to a couple of games and they won the WNBA championship a year ago. Uh, but I got to tell you, you know, because I've, I'm programmed, I started as a Chicago sports fan in the late 1960s, and I've stayed loyal to all Chicago sports teams, with the exception of the Cubs, because of their politics that they that Cubs owner, the Ricketts family, runs. It's just, uh, uh, I can't stand that. And so... But I've stayed loyal to these teams, but you, I, I forget the the soccer team, and sometimes I forget the WNBA because it, it it's not wasn't there when I was growing up as a kid. So um, you think we're gonna get that Brittany Griner out of jail over there? Yeah, I don't know, man. It's not looking good. They said she got sent to a fucking camp. Yeah, one yeah. of those like hard labor camps. I mean, I know you got to be cognizant of other countries' rules and stuff, but it feels like. Dude, they're fucking exploiting her just because of her notoriety here. No fucking doubt. No fucking doubt. If if the if the U.S. government wasn't involved in uh, supporting Ukraine in this war, she never would have been arrested. That's what I was thinking too. I mean, it's a political. I mean, I know that people on the right will say, "Well, she shouldn't have been criticizing her government. She was one of the people that didn't want to do the national anthem. Didn't want to, see, you know." I mean, fuck, man. I mean. So just let her die? Yeah, that's not going to happen. I think, you know, eventually there might be some diplomatic solution to this. But, 
you know what what the Russians have been asking for, and I and I don't know if if this is still on the table, but they've been asking for some notorious arms dealers and uh, high level Russian people who have committed some terrible crimes in the past, or have been accused of crimes, and so they want them in exchange for Britney, and so the United States is in that awkward position of, okay, should we negotiate with this fucking country, you know, and, and should we give up somebody who could potentially go back out there and put uh, arms in the hands of terrorists and stuff. So it's, it's a fucked up situation. Unfortunately for Brittany, even if Biden, I'm not just criticizing Biden is somehow, some way, if there's a trade, it's going to be done by either party in this situation in a way that benefits the sitting president. So it didn't happen before the midterms. So it's probably not going to happen again until closer to 24. Could be. Cause that's a great photo moment, a great photo op of her getting off the plane and hugging Joe Biden. Hey, don't forget to vote for him in November. Yeah, you're right. Fucking politics. I'm surprised we're talking politics and uh, we still have an audience. Yeah. Cause so many people, uh, oppose us it's yeah i mean i think there's i don't know if i were to do a poll in the chat room of who's liberals who's conservative who's moderate or in the in the middle independent i guess um i I bet it would be pretty much split equally Hmm. i don't i think think (laughs) that's surprising me i think most of the trump supporters are gone (laughs) you think there's more conservatives who watch the show yeah, maybe it feels that way. At least they're more active in the chat for sure. Yeah. I don't know. Seen anything good on the tube? Any good movies? I watched that movie. I was talking about last night that Ray Liotta's first film. Yeah. Tell me about called that. the lonely lady. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it is bizarre, man. Like there's some good nudity in it. Don't get me wrong, but like Ray Liotta's character is in the pool and he, he's already gotten a blowjob within like five minutes of the movie. So Ray, Ray, we know instantly Ray Liotta's cool. Man. Mm-hmm. This guy's going on to Goodfellas, for fuck's sake. Um, he's getting blown. He's in a pool about to get some ass. And then the girl walks out. And he's like, so I think, you know, he's going to pull her in the pool. But I thought he was going to try to have a threesome with the two girls. But instead, not only does he not. Try to have it through. He shoves a garden hose up her pussy, and like the girl he was about to fuck is cheering it on. Like it's like turned on by it or something. It's just the movie. Like I watched the interview with the actress that you were talking about. I don't know how to say her name. Pia Zadora. Yeah, she said when the movie wrapped, mm-hmm. she. What's the, what's the name of the movie again? The Lonely Lady. It's from okay. 1983. Yeah, all right. she said when the movie wrapped and she saw some of the daily, she's like, "Oh, I've got to get my Razzie speech ready." She was like, <laughs> "This." It, she was like, "The director was terrible. the The, the whole process was horrible." Wow. She was like, uh, "She's not. I wasn't that good any either." But she, you know, I needed a strong director, mm-hmm. and she was just like, "Man, this this was horrible." And like, you knew it was horrible while we were doing it. And it was, man. It, it the story of itself is somewhat political, saying that women have to like fuck people uh, to get ahead in Hollywood. That sounds good to me. <laughs> yeah, you see, like every every scene is like her having to fuck somebody just to get them to read her screen screenplays and stuff. And you didn't and, like this movie? <laughs> no, that's what I'm saying. The story itself 
seems like there's probably some truth to it, right? So, and it's political in in some ways. So you think, okay, this could be a good film. Mm -hmm. It's terribly executed, terribly executed. It's all over the place. It's not a good film. I mean, it should have been, it could have been, it's not a good movie. How are her uh, nude scenes? Pia. Uh, no lower, no, no Bush. We didn't see any Bush. Uh, her breasts look pretty fucking amazing though. And she's uh, naked a lot in the film, but even that doesn't save it. I mean, like I said, it's just, Desi man, it was juniors in this. Say it again. Desi Arnaz juniors in the movie. Oh, uh, that's in the movie butterfly. I think it's not in the lonely lady. It was in the movie that preceded it. Oh, I, I see. So what's this on the screen? You see what's on the screen? Yeah, that's like she has she wins an Academy Award and she in her speech she says, I had to fuck my way to the top. Like most women in Hollywood, and she didn't want to accept the Oscar because it, the system was bullshit. So, but even so, the movie's just not it's just poorly edited, it's poorly acted. Everything about it is dull yeah. in spite of the nudity and such. No. So how many how many hard ons do you give it? <laughs> no, the movie's so bad you don't even think about it sexually. You're just like, man, uh, this should be so much better because the story, like I said, the story's there, but the execution was just terrible. It it was I don't recommend it at all. Seen anything else that you like? Hmm. Um, what have I watched? Basically just the old bears games and and the bears. Like I've, I went through a stretch. I was watching um, most of the 1991 season for some reason. Uh, and I watched probably eight or 10 of those games the last couple of weeks. What happened? 91. Remind me, did they have, a- that's uh, the Ditka's last playoff team where we lose to oh, Dallas. Jesus. Oh my gosh. 11 and five Wayne fonts lights a cigar. Yeah. 91 was a fucked up year for me. <laughs> my personal life the bears everything 91 uh, is going back and seeing it again it, it, it reinforces my memory of like oh goddamn anderson and muster are hurt every week they can't get them on the field at the same time at all mm-hmm. and consequently they're passing like at that time harbaugh had like exceeded all passing attempts like like times four in the history of the bears organization <laughs> and like, they're just passing and passing and passing because uh, Muster's hurt. Anderson's hurt. Defense was still good enough to win. They were like ranked third, despite San Francisco be- in the final game of the year. It was on Monday night. If the bears win, they win the division and get a bye. Mm-hmm. But if they lose Detroit wins the division and San Francisco puts up 52 points on us. Fuck. And one of the touchdowns was by Bill, Bill Musgrave. Was Tobin still the DC? Yes, he was. Because he he lost his job when Ditka lost his job, right? I think so. Yeah, I'm and sure. He, yeah, why, why would Winey bring him back? You yeah, know, right? And and Tobin never went on to. Well, he had to find some coaching job. After. Didn't he coach with the Cardinals? Let me look that up. The Cardinals. I thought he got a. Retro says he hated Jim Harbaugh. Harbaugh. I liked Harbaugh. He almost took the. The Colts to the Super Bowl as well. And I remember how long it took him to finally get going. He he had like his first two or three seasons in the league were not very good, if I remember correctly. Yeah, yeah. well, he couldn't 
uh, just beat out Mike Tomzak clearly either. I've reached out to Mike Tomzak to see if he wants to come in, no response. Here you go. Vince Tobin, D, he was the defensive coordinator of the Colts team that Harbaugh almost led to the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he was the head coach of the Cardinals. Get this from That's 96 right. to 2000. Holy like Vince, shit. I didn't remember Vince. I thought Vince Tobin was like one and done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He was actually an assistant with the fucking Packers in 04. Oh, that's right. Holy. God. You know, who was really cool on that old, the old staff was Johnny Roland. Yeah. The running back, running back coach. Mm-hmm. His head, his hat turned backwards. Like before it was like a thing. Mm-hmm. He was doing that in the eighties before anybody was doing that. Yep. Yeah, I, um, I, I'm trying to remember why I don't remember much of that early uh, 90s football, uh, and it was because I was going through some marital difficulties. So that fucked me up, you know. I was watching, well, I the, watching the games religiously, but it's not like I fucking retained anything. Yeah, I when you're going through that kind of stress, whether, regardless if you want to or not, it just like kind of consumes – your memory, man, and like everything else that's going on at that time. Yep. Me. I've definitely been there that one time. So one time? I've only been married once. But you've had your heart broken a number of times. Right? Oh yeah. Everyone's had their heart broken, but like just the divorce Not is me. what I'm saying. <laughs> Everyone's had their heart broken for sure, you know? Yeah. <laughs> well, I was gonna help you uh cheer up. Did I do any, did I cheer you up at all of this so that you could look towards the future? And say, you mean tonight? Yes. Tonight's been fun. Absolutely. I, I was looking at the clock saying, God damn, wish I wasn't, I didn't have to go. I know. Um, but yeah, it's, I've had fun. I think the show's been, uh, been a good one. I hope the other people agree. Let's see. Anybody in the chat room has something for Dan? I know that one of the things that I would like, love to do, Dan, and maybe we can do this when you're in town which is one reason why I wouldn't mind staying here at least one night. Um, so we could do a couple of recording things, but I would love to announce a bears game with you. So even if it's one of the old ones, you know, you sent me so many awesome games that we could rewatch and, and announce it and you would be do the play by play and I would do the color and we would just fucking joke around and stuff. And somehow we would capture it and put it on video and, and, and serve it up as a show. I'm down. That would be fun, man. Yeah, I think so. But uh, it would also uh, point out that I don't know all the formations and stuff, you know, I mean, maybe, maybe the old games I do I'd be like, oh, it's a pro set. It's an I formation, you know, yeah, you don't have to yeah. get all technical. It's it's about joking and having fun and talking about pussy while fucking Justin Fields is running for a touchdown. Well, Dennis Gentry, look at the way he's running there. Kind of <laughs> reminds me of that time I was getting blown. You know? <laughs> exactly. That's what I'm looking for. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want any of the CVS, ABC, NBC announcing. I want the DNA, Dan and all. <laughs> hey, that's yeah, good... that that would be fun yeah. in that regard. DNA presents because <laughs> I think the filth part is so easy. Yeah. It's not like neither one of us are forcing it. You know, <laughs> it, it could all be impromptu and just be disgustingly dirty. Yes, I mean break every fucking FCC rule ever, uh, every made and uh, even considered. Just go all out. Which game would you, just off the top of your head, which game from the '90s or '80s or whenever would you like to announce? 
one pop into your head? Nothing no, specific. I, I don't know if it should be a loss, especially if it's like a blowout loss. Like oh, that's got to be happy ending. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no pun intended. <laughs> Speaking of happy endings, does Deshaun Watson get to play soon? He played Sunday. Oh, he did. I didn't watch. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I I have not seen a single highlight. I know that the Browns won, but I heard it wasn't much because of Watson. It was the the their defense and special teams were outstanding. But uh, yeah, Deshaun did play. There was some uh, booze, but there wasn't a lot of protests or anything like that. I was a little surprised. It was kind of subdued. Oh, he's yeah. kind of served his time now. I mean, so I'm, consider- say, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was just going to say he got the suspension. He hasn't been charged with a crime mm-hmm. and he, he was still suspended. He missed a whole year and then 11 games. I mean, it's like Michael Vick. I don't advocate killing dogs, but man, when the guy got out of prison, like who's to say he shouldn't be able to play again. I agree. He, he served his time. The, yeah. He, I mean, what, how do you have to kick him the rest of his life? I mean, Again, it's it's a monstrous thing. Like I, I have animals. I don't want anybody to hurt animals. Okay. But I mean, after someone is is done the time, I mean, I mean, I, I grew up um, on uh, being taught the teachings of Jesus Christ, and so forgiveness is in my heart because that's what I learned as a kid. Got got to forgive. Anyways, some suggestions of the games we can call it. Raiders game of '84. You remember that one? Yes. That'd be fun. Bears Vikings 85. McMahon won in Minnesota, I assume. Yep. The one in Chicago is a little boring. Yeah, it is. Bears Super Bowl victory. I've got so much of the Super Bowl. Like I just made the 85 and 06 seasons for the other Dan. Mm-hmm. My 85 Super Bowl, like Super Bowl 20, it's three discs because I've got the pregame, you know, uh, the NBC's full pregame, all the commercials. The game, I've got the NBC post game. I've got the the local Chicago TV post game where they're interviewing Ditka drunk at the hotel. I love it. I've got the parade. I've got where the space shuttle blows up. I've got everything. That it's thorough. Fun. I mean, so if hell, it's, it's probably seven or eight hours in total. Mm-hmm. Man, bring that shit with you. Watch, watch it. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm down. Uh, and I still haven't watched the John Kennedy stuff that you sent me. And I was thinking about maybe we'll watch that one, uh, Dancing Tom. But I was, that's not a good use of your time. I'm gonna, I don't want to sit down and watch a, a movie with you. Well, even if it's just one of them, I'd love to show you the, the right. one that, that has Oswald's, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, mistress. Right. Uh, the Russian woman? No, no, no. Uh, she was American. Her name is uh, Judy Baker. And she was a chemist. And had given mice, had given cancer to mice quicker than anyone ever had at that point. So she was going to Tulane on a full paid scholarship or was about to. And she gets involved in all this clandestine stuff, like where they're trying to like, the government is trying to find ways to kill Castro with a virus, which everything they're saying, it sounds like HIV AIDS, but you know, who, I don't want to create a new controversy or conspiracy Go theory, but create another one. <laughs> No, but she was like fucking Lee the whole time and knew all the players and stuff. And 60 Minutes vetted her for almost two years and they couldn't contradict her story. But at the last minute before they put her on, like the week before she's supposed to go on, someone called the network and said, just kill the story. So the History Channel went with it. Really? Yeah. Back then, History Channel balls, man. 
and uh, they ban they it got banned right after. Uh, but yeah, you know, she's just saying like she's like I'm doing this at great risk to me, and an embarrassment to my family. Like my grandkids are asking me like, so you fuck the guy that killed the president, mm-hmm. you know? And she's like, but I'm only doing this because he deserves it. She's like, at that time it was for the 40th anniversary. She's like, the man was a fucking patriot and has been besmirched all this time. And someone's got to do the thing because it's right. It's just the right thing. Like the guy wasn't a killer. He didn't do it. Yeah, and well, was only, he had infiltrated this right wing group as a left winger well, and was like a mole there for, for the CIA and the FBI. And, uh, she said like, you know, he, he couldn't just back out of it and you know, they'd kill him or his family, you know, <laughs> but he wasn't a shooter. He wasn't a shooter. He wasn't anti Kennedy. He wasn't a communist, any of it. So well, it's, it's, it's very, it's a very good watch. Even if you don't believe it, it's, she believes it. I can tell you that. Yeah. And she's written a book that I have too called me and Lee. She's my Facebook friend. I've talked to her late at night. She, she said she had to leave the country after that. Cause of all the death threats she got, she lives abroad now. When's the last time you talked to her? probably five years ago or something like that. You know, I could get around. The show. Uh, that'd be great. I mean, like I said, uh, she's very credible, but she's getting older now too. Oh, I bet she's got, yeah, I mean, she's got to be in her seventies now. Okay. Uh, let's see. The last time we spoke was January 24th of 2013. Okay. So I'm looking at our messenger thing. Nine years. So, Get her on and uh, retro. Uh, you're not allowed to be a part of that show because I know 70 year old, 80 year old women turn you on. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's only one. It's one of the um, chapters in the quote unquote, the men who killed Kennedy. There's like 10 of them. Mm-hmm. They're all an hour long approximately. And for years, the first six you could buy or, or maybe it's nine chapters, but the, like the last couple you couldn't buy, they banned them as soon as they were aired. Cause one of them, has you remember Scott McClellan, who was the press secretary for George W. Bush? Do. He they he had Ari Fleischer, and then he replaced the bald guy Ari. Mm-hmm. Uh, his dad worked for Lyndon Johnson. His dad's name was Barr McClellan, and Barr McClellan said that, like, you know, he wasn't there in '63. He got hired in '66, mm-hmm. and says that it was all the all the attorneys were like, "Oh man, the the big guy was involved in Dallas for sure," and like. You know, he's got all these examples where he said that like Johnson killed his own sister because she was promiscuous and she was addicted to drugs and she had loose lips to the media and said that LBJ killed his own sister and said that this guy in 1951, uh, I forget his fucking name. Eventually they, they show a list from this guy named Billy Celestes, who was a, a Johnson henchman who, who said under oath in court in 1984 that Johnson had purposely been behind 10 murders that he knew of them that he knew of and that Kennedy was one of them. And he also said that he had LBJ had his own sister killed and that was one of his guys, but he was forced to give a deposition under oath. This would make a great fucking movie. Yeah. It's just like, nobody cares anymore. No, no one has any, like, I I don't know what to believe on that. I I don't believe I, like I've said a hundred thousand times, I don't want to sit here and tell you I know what happened or anything like that, but I don't believe Oswald was the shooter. Just on basic fundamentals, they give him a paraffin test. It showed he hadn't fired a weapon that day. Mm-hmm. They didn't have any prints on the weapon until he died. I mean, the FBI said they couldn't find any prints, and then a week later, 
the gun comes back to Dallas PD and they find a palm print. I mean, that could have been put on when he was in the morgue, mm-hmm. but I mean, the FBI couldn't find anything. And then the FBI sharpshooters th- couldn't match his alleged uh, performance, <laughs> you know? And then, you know, you got the fact he shot from the front and it's, he's violently thrown to the back. But if you listen to the way that the government says he was shot from behind and got pushed forward when the video shows, that's not what happened. So on the basics, and, and the last thing I got to go, but the, I've said this before, but this is so, to me, is the slam dunk. So he's allegedly on the sixth floor. He fires three shots. He empties the shells, hides the gun, runs down from the sixth floor to the second floor. Although there are other people on the stairs, no one claims to have seen him do that. And when Marion Baker, the policeman, comes in, he says it's no more than 90 seconds after the assassination. There's a guy standing there buying a Coke, and he's with the building owner. He says, who is this man? He says, that's Lee Oswald. He works here. He said, they asked him, the Warren Commission said, was Oswald wended? He said, unequivocally, no. So in 90 seconds, the gov- so you'd think the government would say, oh, he was, he was wrong. It was actually three minutes later. He, but they didn't. They said, okay, we buy your story that he fired three shots, disassembled the weapon, empty the shells, ran down four flights of stairs and is already buying a Coke and he's not winded. And it's been 90 seconds. Anybody that would, would have fired those shots and killed the president would have been sweating and had adrenaline that he's been running. And, but he said unequivocally, no, he was buying a Coke and was not winded. He didn't do the shooting. I don't know who did. I'm not trying to be some expert, but he didn't do it. The paraffin test said he didn't do it. The fucking gun had a defective scope. He didn't do it. Nobody cares, though. That's our interview with Oliver Storm. Oliver, it's really been great having you on the show. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you're fucking better than Oliver Stone, man. No, no, no. Oliver Stone's great. I should have been playing the JFK soundtrack under, under you know, maybe oh, I'll John Williams, it's tremendous, tremendous. Oh, my gosh, it's a tremendous track. Well, Unfortunately, I gotta go. It's eleven forty. I should have left ten minutes ago. Yeah, go save some lives. And uh, again, you were outstanding today. Really, I think I think Tooch has lost his job. <laughs> Tooch may be getting like sodomized right now in a in a jail cell over there. What's happening with Tooch? <laughs> well, when he comes back, he's gonna get sodomized. I'll tell you that. <laughs> he's got to give us some good stories whenever he comes back with his bourbon or whatever. There you go. All right, brother. Take care. <laughs> All right. Have a good night. Thanks. Uh, that is the great Dan Aguirre, my good friend. I'm gonna get to see him in person again. Uh, that last Sunday of the season, Minnesota Vikings. I think he flies in on a Saturday, and then flies out Monday. Uh, so one of the things we've been talking about is just maybe getting a hotel room and just hanging out downtown. Uh, but we'll uh, let all you guys know, because I know some people would love to meet uh, Dan or meet him again, like King Pookie's already met him twice. So uh, we'll uh, try to schedule something and uh, at a meet-up place so when, when, when he's in town. And hopefully we'll have some great weather as opposed to that frigid stuff. He, he actually bought some tickets that were like nosebleed seats. And I go, dude, I'll go with you, but fucking sell those seats. And I'm going to fucking get us some nice seats in that 200 level where we can go into the, what is it? The Cadillac room at Lexus club or some shit like that. Cause it gets cold and we might want to go in there and warm up. And so, you know how Dan is, please don't, don't, don't go into any trouble. This was my idea. Dan, shut the fuck up. I'm paying for these tickets. We're going to go and we're going to be warm. <laughs> He plans on wearing shorts 
to the game because that's what that's how he dresses. He wears shorts ninety five percent of the time. So he says, if it's at all possible, I'm going to be wearing uh, shorts. So fucking guy, uh, gotta love him. Gotta love him. Um, all right, I, uh, let me tell you what's going on here tomorrow on the barroom. Our live programming starts at two p.m. It is Bardon Hockey Talk with Vinny Parisi and Frank Mueller. Two cool guys, and if you get a chance, just tune in because not only do they talk hockey, but they'll talk bears. They'll talk some of the baseball stuff that's going on, and they do it all in an entertaining way. They cover pop culture as well. And then tomorrow night, uh, Danny Shimon and I are going to do a bear truth. So uh, Danny's going to break some break down some tape of, uh, let's see, Sanborn and – Braxton Jones. So that should be a really, really good show. And of course, you've got Bears Country podcast uh, archived on the Barroom uh, Network YouTube channel and also on the uh, Bears Country podcast YouTube channel. So you can check out Mr. Shorty, Dan Aguirre, Cliff Victoria with their thoughts uh, from yesterday. It's a great, good show. I tuned, I tuned in for about an hour. And uh, then Greg Gabriel's on demand. So we got something. If you don't like this, you'll probably find something that you'll like. Two hours a week of programming covering the Chicago Bears and other sports. So for uh, for Dan Aguirre, for Mr. Shorty, for uh, Mike North, for everybody here at the bar room, my name is Aldo Gandia. We'll talk to you soon. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Dan and Aldo Bear Their Souls. Make sure you subscribe to the Barroom Network and you give us a rating on iTunes. Until next week, my name is Nomsen. Bear down.